0: Hello and welcome to episode 198 of the Ram Nintendo Podcast. I'm Jason and I'm Angel and this episode is all about teamwork and cooperation and collaboration and working together to achieve a greater good by which I mean we're going to spend some time talking about co-op games hence our episode title of the buddy system. The The idea behind this really stemmed from uh, us playing a new co-op shooter called Rico which uh, we're going to have impressions of later in the show. And then that's what got us thinking about co-op in general and kind of where it sits on the video game spectrum and we thought we'd talk about it. But along with that, we'll also share our thoughts on the newly announced Labo VR kit, a uh, kind of surprising report about how, sa- how safe Nintendo is playing uh, their mobile game, and a surprise in a very different way of Masahiro Hero Sakurai, Mr. Smash Bros., insane work habits, and the kind of justifiably growing concerns around, what, you know, crunch culture both within maybe Nintendo and more generally in gaming and beyond. Uh, so there's a link to timestamps for all that individually at RamTown.com. If you're on the YouTube video, you can look below for some quick links. Uh, but let's get back to that whole co-op thing. Because maybe it's just me, but I feel like co-op is often overshadowed in gaming. Like, so much focus seems to be on the big online competitive experiences or the narrative-heavy, deep, like, single-player experiences. And co-op is just kind of, like, there. Yet, some of the best gaming experiences are you arguably mean on Nintendo. Right? On Nintendo. Okay. no even outside Nintendo you hear people talking about cause
1: there was a very good long period at least in I wanna say like the mid no it was just like the early 2010s mm-hmm. God, I can't believe could say early 2010s oh like
0: Army of Two and all that and Chain of. yeah where yeah, there were yeah, like, yeah, so but many I mean, it's, like, it's like
1: every other game was a co-op game but I mean
0: like now it's all like I guess you could argue Fortnite or Apex Legends I mean, Resident Evil for a
1: while was strictly a co-op-only yeah. experience. Yeah, but I'd say the thing
0: is, even now, or even inside Nintendo, or wherever you want to say it, like, some of the best game experiences are the co-op ones. And there's such a huge range of those experiences inside Nintendo's bubble, in the bar game, where, like you said, there's a whole period where every game was co-op. Um, and what's, for better or worse. For yeah. better or worse. And what's unfortunate... Uh, is that me, as an only child, I didn't always have the option available to me. Like, I have and had friends. I mean, real real friends, not imaginary friends. Yes, I had two uh, parents. And I had two parents that I still have. Uh, but I don't know. Like, sometimes there was just nobody around to play a game with. I mean, I, I'm the kid who... To, to give you an idea of what my life was like I'm the kid who would play solo against computers and not just enjoy it but enjoy it so much that I used to do live commentary as I played Smash Bros. the Phyllis and wrestling match and I would trash talk the computer characters in Mario Party I don't actually know if I've ever made this on the podcast I know you know this story yeah. but it wasn't I'm even glad like i had all this and
1: what? my sister no, I'm glad I had yeah cause this. it wasn't
0: even like I was doing good trash talk it was not even good trash talk I had no other actual human being to bounce it off of so no one was there to say Jason Jason this is bad not bad like rude, like bad like my snarkiest thing I used to say was Peach would do something well in Mario Party at night sarcastically and pretty proudly to myself be like, well, that's just peachy. Now, what I'm saying is 10-year-old Jason really was as innocent as they come. If that was my snarkiest, meanest comment was, well, that's just peachy. But uh, actually, you know what? It's really odd that that's what my snarkiest comment was because like I was watching South Park the movie as soon as it came out on video, my parents didn't care. That same 10-year-old Jason that watched South Park then turned around and said that was peachy to peach? Like, really? What's wrong with me? I didn't really think about that. Oh. <laughs> but, yeah, um... I don't know. It's, I, I guess my life was sad and desolate. But you, on the other hand, you point out you had siblings. I imagine that gave you, and still gives you, more of an opportunity to play co-op because, you know, you not only have a sibling who lives here with you, but Elvis is also, like, really into video games like you. So, what what's co-op gaming been for, like, you and in, in your life, because for me it's been less of a of a thing. But
1: um it's been a very constant presence, which is really really great. Like since Donkey Kong Country Return, not, not Donkey Kong Country Return, Donkey, the original Donkey Kong Country. Wow, since so 2010, <laughs> you've been playing co-op. <laughs> yeah, like Donkey Country One and Two. I remember my brother and I playing co-op. But oh, actually, our favorite, definitely hands down, like the most co op co-op game you could have co-opted back then the Super Nintendo, was Goof Troop. We love it. Oh, that, that,
0: is, that's, that was top-down, right? Or not top it was kind of zelda E in presentation. Yeah, yeah, it was, yeah. was
1: top-down and like someone controlled Goofy, someone controlled Max, they had slightly different like, I guess, attributes, like one was faster, one was tougher mm-hmm. and yeah, something about like that experience is like, oh, I can't continue this game unless I'm playing with this other person but when you finally get to do it, like it was just amazing and then the little, the puzzle solving, the bosses and that game like, more so than, like, doing co op, like, we always play the the mainline 2D Mario games because, I mean, at one point they decided they were just always going to be multiplayer. Yeah. Um, but those all, are more like alternating. Or do you mean the more recent? The no, old ones are alternating. No, well, no, I mean, like, um, I guess since they, were, since they became, like, I guess simultaneous multiplayer. Oh, so, okay, so the newer one, yeah. Yeah, like, like not really counting those because, I mean, we do play all of those together. Like, we always 100% those together, we always 100% the. The two Donkey Kong Country returns, pretty much any platformer, but those I feel I don't know, kind of don't really want to call them co-op because for the sometimes they They're just kind of not. Yeah, it just feels like we're both playing a single-player game simultaneously. Yeah. The only one that had the most impact, I would say, would be probably Mario Brothers Wii, just because you could get each other's way so much. And the bubbles. And um, don't forget the bubbles. You had to pop them to
0: keep people in, or get them in the bubble and make them fly away. Yeah.
1: Yeah, maybe. Oh, and I I guess new Super Mario Brothers. No, Super Mario 3D World. Yeah, just because that one like you definitely that one felt less like you were. Yeah, you you benefit more from having other people. There's a lot of like little tactics you could do. Yeah, and it required
0: working together at times. It wasn't just like you're concurrently playing in parallel.
1: But anything that would emulate the Goof Troop experience, just like going forward, was great. Like anything like the Tales games and which I guess you don't really need multiple people for, but it's just more fun with more people. Just, you know, multiplayer RPG games. And ironically enough, the those Resident Evil games were the ones that got us into the Resident Evil franchise. Oh, the, the, the co-op weird pretty tangent much, it went on for pretty a couple much games. The moment it started getting quote-unquote bad to everyone else yeah. is when we started getting into it. Because we didn't have a PlayStation growing up. We didn't get a PlayStation 1 until we were, I don't know, like in our late teens. So, like, 19, like... You got PlayStation
0: 1 when you were 19? You got PlayStation 1 in, like, 2009? Yeah,
1: well, because we didn't buy it new. It was just, like, a hand-me-down. Oh, oh, okay. (laughs) Like, how'd you even find one? And even then, like, oh, wow, that means I actually have a copy of Resident Evil 3. I just realized that now that I care. Yeah, because you didn't care before. Yeah, before I was just like, oh, this game. Man, now I'm kind of excited about that. But I'm probably not going to play it because those games, I don't know, to me at least, like, they just did not age well, like, at all. Like... Well, you're the dude who insists that Zelda
0: remakes have to be on the Breath of the Wild engine, so I understand where you're coming from. No, I mean that's a throwback to last episode. If you want that debate, tune into episode 197. No, I mean, oh, I, I, mean like...
1: I mean, the game looks pretty. Yeah, I, know, I just I know. won't play the old one. Right, right. I mean, Link's the Waking is the It's the, the Crash Bandicoot remake yep, equivalent. Yeah, so. it or the Spyro remake. Yeah, re- now Spyro, now yeah, yeah exactly.
0: Yeah, this... it's the Activision of the Nintendo New, game. New, but world. not really. Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, or Crash Nitro Kart Racing. Yeah, off.
1: but for whatever reason, yeah. Resident Evil didn't really seem like a theme for us until there Uh was co op introduced, and we're like, oh, this sounds like it could be interesting. And obviously, we started with five. And as cheesy as the story was, and as much as people hated a lot of really stupid parts, like Chris Redfield punching a giant boulder, like literally punching it off of a cliff. Mm -hmm. Like, like, no one should be able to punch a boulder, but I don't. But but, you know, know, you just just give it like punches to the gut, and you just keep mashing that button. and...
0: A, a quick time event it was a quick time event that got the boulder
1: to be. Punched. well yeah like one person doing the quick time event while the other person is doing someone's right. shooting Wesker
0: this was the final boss oh
1: and but regard- Wait, the
0: climax of the game was punching a boulder essentially is what you're saying
1: yeah well, it basically was
0: <laughs> wow Capcom you went through a dark period it, it, it's
1: definitely <laughs> like like oh have you played Resident Evil 5 oh yeah the one where Chris punches the boulder right yeah it's like <laughs> it's that kind of thing okay yeah but- and then
0: 6 had the giraffe logo which oh we're yeah into.
1: yeah but, gi- well, I'll get to that one right now. Yeah, but yeah. But five, I don't know, I just really loved like a lot of the co op aspects of it. Like when you heal yourself, like if your teammate is near you you both get to heal, you know, like um there was a lot of puzzles that required you to be in like certain places while also fending off certain enemies that you can't shoot but only your partner can from far mm-hmm. away. Mm-hmm. So it's like you're kinda of covering each other's backs. Mm-hmm. I don't know. It was really cool and definitely tense and it definitely I mean it still had like a few jump scares. I mean it's still rather Evil lightly around there. It's like it's like Resident Evil by way of
0: Fast and Furious and or then something.
1: Resident Evil 6 like my brother and I like, we, it's still a really good game it's just a terrible Resident Evil game because I mean it does yeah. a lot of things right if it's just like it could have been like action generic action game the game. It could have been Shaw, Shaw and Hobbs the video game. But Resident Evil 6 like has I want to say yeah it's three different campaigns there's one that's just straight up Call of Duty basically uh huh that's like the Chris Redfield one. You are playing army, dude. You are literally just running and gunning the whole time, dude, bro, on your way through. There is another one that is more hand to hand combat, and you are running away from a giant monster. It's a little slower, so that one does a little different. And then there is another one with Leon, the you know Resident, Resident Evil Four guy, and yep, and Resident Evil Two, and that one plays a lot more survival horror. It's a lot slower. You are going through like cathedrals and stuff like that. So they're
0: trying to cater to everyone, a little with Resident Evil they 6. did, but it did it's, not succeed. At but time. it's kind of
1: like that whole like. Um, Jack of all trades Jack, master, yeah, master, and nothing. <laughs> and we still obviously really enjoyed it because the entire experience was co op, which was just amazing. Mm-hmm. But now that Resident Evil's a little back to normal, I started to really appreciate that. All that other slowness, I mean, especially because Resident Evil 1 got an HD remake on the GameCube, and then that got like an, an HD HD remake, I don't know what to call it, an up res uh, version for the uh, PS4, uh,
0: HD er. Yeah, I got HDR, HDR, but not HDR, HDR. Yeah, the, so it's, those, it's spelled the same as HDR. Those
1: nice JPEGs from the GameCube era got like an HD remake, I guess. Right. And yeah, I guess the phone went off, but that's weird because we definitely muted everything for once. So now I I'm, don't even think the
0: mic picked it up. i was just trying to figure out what went off, where, whatever.
1: So now I'm excited to try that game because you know, it was free on PS4 at one point, so we have it. Right. Which is great. Right. And so, Resident uh, Evil sounds like. So God, well, it's not that
0: Goof Troop was your entry yeah, into the co-op Reef world. We've you know
1: with also Capcom, and, huh. and funny thing, the lead director of Goof Troop was actually tasked with making Resident Evil One. Really? Yeah. So oh, I'm to, which so I'm, I'm just realizing. Like I literally just I'm put the, the realization. I, I knew right that, now. but I, I guess I'm just a huge fan of um, Capcom, of Mikami, yeah. Yeah.
0: Here's what I'm figuring out as you're saying this. You are a Capcom fan before anything else. Like, think of your favorite franchises. It's Monster Hunter. It's Phoenix Wright. It's Resident Evil. Goof Troop brought you into co-op. The thing that, like, sealed the deal for you was 5 and 6, which most people were, you know, like, this isn't Resident Evil, but it resonated with you and Elvis. Like, I mean, you it got are... me to play
1: the other ones. Yeah, exactly. Like, you are... Capcom I mean, I love, this should be the random Capcom podcast for you at least I mean I love Marvel's Capcom I don't care about Marvel but it made me care about that game right I and mean, I love the Street Fighter franchise I'm terrible oh, yeah, at yeah, it Street but Fighter. I still really really love Street Fighter it's like if Smash didn't
0: exist you'd just be all in on Capcom
1: yeah I mean if you look at just this room there's a lot of, there's a lot Capcom, of Capcom around many Street Fighter stuff but there is Capcom there are multiple
0: skateboard decks of Capcom character, yeah. of Street Fighter specifically
1: yep but but that's my co-op i mean at least like what i consider like you know true co-op kind of game and, yeah. I, and you know like we've played the odd like we played like, transform like, the father sabatron like campaign oh yeah yeah co-op but those are just and, yeah and i mean we have there was a recent game that came out on ps4 it's like a jailbreak kind of game it's like what's it called two no not two sons i forgot what it's called breakout i don't know but it came out mm-hmm. maybe like a couple months ago that I didn't mean to play but you know there's still a bunch of other co-op games we have to finish. And more
0: of the point, you you are, you haven't peeled yourself away from Resident Evil 2 and or Smash.
1: Yeah, and I just beat the campaign twice, too. Of Resident but, Evil? Yeah. Interesting. Oh, wow. You really like that game. Well, I mean, you beat it once with Leon, then once with Claire. To uh, kind of see, like, oh, what's going on with the other character? Right, right. <laughs> but then there's still... Meanwhile... Yeah, the only thing I kind of don't like about that is that you have... I don't know. You have Leon A. So I you have this timeline with Leon going through the police station first. Uh-huh. He talks to this dude or whatever and then and once you beat that game you unlock Claire B which she does I guess what Leon wasn't doing but then you have another campaign where it's Claire A where she goes through the police station uh, first and no, no, she yeah. talks to so the police guy or and then there's what Leon was doing during that scenario but during both times you fight the same bosses so it's kinda so I'm still convinced it's not the same timeline because if you kill the boss in one it shouldn't be there for the other so it's like okay I'm defeated but I have to come back because the other person going, like, oh, Go, "Go, gotta reset everything that bridge that was broken gotta rebuild it Do <laughs> yeah. so you know what I mean like there's yeah, some inconsistencies yeah. but I'm guessing I guess just only the last one you played is the real one and that's pretty much it
0: have you ever heard the theory of multiple parallel universes
1: I have seen Spider-Verse so yeah yeah
0: so like maybe Resident Evil is a Spider-Verse
1: situation yeah but then Capcom is like well Claire B is the true ending because that's what they have to use for Resident Evil 3 and going on oh whatever. true yeah cause true. I mean only one if they have to make a sequel they have to pick one just like the Zelda timeline yeah, they. Except they decided to just. Well, you're not a fan multiple. of the Zelda timeline. You no, don't,
0: you don't like the idea of it existing. No, yeah,
1: right? but it works with this example.
0: No, but I'm just saying in general, like, you're not a fan of the Zelda timeline. No, I think you?
1: it's dumb. I, I think it, it's pandering. <laughs> Ooh, I hope
0: someone out there is like, no, my timeline. They know, like, you is. know, they have the corkboard with all the strings, it, and you're just
1: calling them dumb. It's cool for it's. It's fine for people to make their own timeline and everything. I mean, anyone can make. Anyone can do, do whatever they want. But Nintendo do it. Yeah, because I... Before the timeline was a thing, it felt pretty clear to me that each of Zelda was its own thing. They yeah. were just reusing the same assets, just like the Tales games. Every Tales game was its own thing. And then at some point, I guess, people were really hounding Nintendo to make an official timeline. Yeah. And even Nintendo at one point commented that each game was its own thing. Right. And then now that they made an official timeline like they're like oh this is the actual thing but and then the people are still mad that it doesn't make sense sometimes well of course it doesn't because it was never meant to be well, one you can't have a timeline unless you're spider versing you can't have a timeline that has three
0: separate timelines then it's just obviously not a real timeline yeah that's like right. it's not it's a like, timeline at that like, point. you could tell
1: like well I mean yeah it, yeah, yeah. It well I mean like it,
0: gonna... yeah it's kind of like the, the way I view it is like it's kind of nice that they structure a little so you can have some context of the games but like yeah, it you have to adhere to it. Like you know, Breath of the Wild kind of floats around. Like it's sort of in one, but kind of, like, it's also kind of a prequel. Yeah, Breath of
1: the Wild like, like feels more like they just went back to like you know we don't care about the yeah. timeline anymore. Skyward Sword felt like all right, we have this timeline. Let Skyward Sword felt like they're still. They, let, let's give an origin story. I mean, even Um Minish Cap it had the Picori story. Like it predates right. a lot of other stuff. That right. was, I think that one's the very first after. No, that one's right after Skyward Sword. I, I think that can Aper- work. Yeah. Like if you if you want I mean, to reference some games other do, games, yeah, some games but... do at least the later ones do connect together yeah. but I mean then you have the obvious sequels which are obviously sequels. yeah but
0: like can you imagine if they tried to do a Mario timeline have they done a Mario timeline because that would be that so. one would make even less sense I mean because you have Bowser having one kid but then multiple kids but then they're not siblings but yet they're both his kids but then one's suddenly not his kid
1: one's a junior one's
0: a baby yeah. one's a Koopaling like it, what is going there's on there's also there? like Bowser's promiscuous there's very
1: little <laughs> continuity no there's no continuity yeah the only continuity I could think of is when they introduced Bowser Jr. to then I guess he just comes out in every game after yeah pretty much and he's <laughs> finally, like, And well, he's like Kamek's best buddy randomly yeah so it's like Sunshine comes first I guess in those yeah and I guess
0: but uh, not really because Mario's already like has already done his oh, thing because no, he's I'm, on vacation in no, stuff. well I mean so. like
1: as far as like Bowser Junior. Oh, goes, sure. just because Bowser Junior. exists post that sure. game, and then he doesn't in others. But
0: right, wow, we went on a crazy, weird tangent about uh, Bowser's sex life. And then indirectly. do you even
1: consider? Do you even count the Mario Party? Because I mean, there's Koopa kids, but they're not Bowser Junior. Yeah, and, and or... okay, and and
0: do you count? Like, let's let's actually
1: dive into this for a second.
0: Okay, so Mario's a plumber, a tennis player, a cart driver, a doctor. Uh, I mean, hotel a hotel manager, um,
1: a golfer.
0: What. Where does he have the time to do all this and say? I mean Peach? at this
1: point it does make most sense that he's just an actor, just the whole stage play. Yeah, I love the Mario Three theory. Yeah, which that one like it's clearly set on the stage and yeah. at that point they're all performing, so I mean I guess if you have to have some kind of closure, exactly. I mean they're all they're all performers. They're but like literally weird... Mario Kart and Mario Party is just like them just almost re reinforces that that it, it they're just does. whatever they need them to be. Yeah. They're a cast of characters, literally. Yeah. Which which
0: also kind of explains why Nintendo tried to say he's not really a plumber, and then the internet – this was like a year ago, right? And then the internet oh, yeah. freaked out, and then they're like, okay, he's a plumber. Sorry. <laughs> yeah. You got his playing degree back. It's fine. But uh, anyway, we went on a crazy tangent there. Um, we, were, we were talking about co-op. So I guess that was your co-op life. Yeah. My, mine, uh, for me – I think the type of co-op game that always resonated with me was the, the – is probably the one you would least expect, and that's the one that takes a type of gameplay that you always view in one way, and then sort of flips on its head. And that's and I'm not saying like to me that's just what's most interesting. Like I'm not trying to knock the games you talk about. Obviously, there's huge appeal in gunning down zombies together. You, and, you don't like grand epic story of you. co-op? Uh, no, because I don't have extended time to play these games with people because I am a only child, as we've established. With apparently, it. no friends. commitment issues. Exactly. I, yes, I'm a uh, single forever. Yes, I have commitment issues. Point is, uh, because of that. Bite size was the way to go. But what really interested me more than bite oh, size. I you were like that was the name of a game like Bite Size. No, by- Bite that Size. Guys. Do you remember the game with the dog and he was a robot, bite size? It was so good. It was on the N64. No. Um, but yeah, I think it's just someone who had access, as someone who had access to less co op, for lack of a better way to put it, I always found it more interesting when an experience I played solo and always viewed as only working solo. Suddenly wasn't and then worked really well. Like, you know, games like Mario Kart Double Dash or Zelda 4 Sword are really like the embodiment of this for me. And I realize it's a totally different type of co op than what you're doing, but it's just, it's sort of, you know, it's what resonated. Like, looking back at Double Dash now, the whole thing comes off a bit gimmicky, I'll admit. But at the time, like, the idea of coordinating with another person, you know, having your item gunner of sorts, it, like it's a World War Two plane or something, uh, it really helped make it stand out compared to Mario Kart. So it was pretty fun.
1: It was always pretty fun being like, I remember um, there are many times where. My brother and I pretty much had like a system like Because we would try to get like the fastest possible time on any track. So Naturally. you know. So you know when we we're like drifting, like we're pretty much just like jiggling the joystick. So we would get like You Mario party the joystick. The fastest possible drift boost you can possibly get. Uh-huh. So we would our drifts would have to be like on point, otherwise Yeah, like, you'd have to be synced up. Yeah. And when you're like synced up it's like well, yeah, it's harmony. I mean, yeah, and
0: yeah. I and I appreciate that in town. Dan just make it as simple as like one person throws items and the other person steers. Yeah. Like the sync. To... Oh yeah, and they attack too. Yeah, so they could attack. that so you, you attack coordinate. to help your drift. So exactly. you could, like, Turn your
1: car even more. It's, like all these like.
0: Yeah. So the fact that you could items. like throw punches or steal items as the person you had to coordinate as you're driving constantly. Yeah. And, and if then. If you want to, you
1: could switch. If you want to change it up. What?
0: And yeah. Exactly. Clear. You could switch on. Fine. It wasn't even like if you want to change it up. Like you both got items. So. I mean, I guess you. Well, you could the throw the item backwards. That's true. That's true. But yeah, the fact that you could rotate on the fly I thought it was really yeah, cool yeah which
1: is great because like oh I'm better at this track you're better at this
0: track yeah, so. yeah it's, it's a really cool system and like it meant that it it made Double Dash surprisingly strategic for a Mario Kart da- game at
1: least verbally strategic for like the first time in the series and I I just thought that was cool I really would like that mechanic to come back and I guess as Mario Kart 8 Deluxe feels like it's on a it's a platform on it's own I feel like they should just keep building on that that way well I mean they could make it it's own game but at least that way it doesn't feel like it's taking away anything from a core Mario Kart because they could just keep yeah, building just, a Mario Kart. They could like,
0: literally just make Double Dash a mode inside other Mario Karts.
1: I mean, all it, it basically well, is I mean, I feel, a mode. I feel like if it's a mode... I don't know. I feel like it's not going to be a... Oh, you think the balancing would be screwed up? Yeah, like I feel it's not going to be given the attention it deserves i that, guess that's if it's just a mode oh so you're thinking also like they do a like, uh, like, like expansion it, pack of But i give it like Eight. a full on like go a lot on it pretty yeah. much because i mean the track designs were a lot simpler for that one because the the way the car steered on that one was a lot they couldn't do very sharp turns so a lot of the yep. car a lot of the tracks were shorter and wider mm-hmm. also just to a lot like the bigger vehicles so it definitely had i don't know, like a different feel to it I mean, it makes sense. It it was, also, it all was the, the carts are more market. like real cars. That was the first time they yeah. broke out of the cart look. And it's also one of the... It well, that was the first time you could pick different... No, it wasn't. No, yeah, it was the first time you could pick different cards.
0: It did introduce the boosting... It did introduce the point system used for the cups that's been in every Mario Kart since. But that was that, the first game to have that.
1: But that one um, was the... Uh, First Mario Kart since the original director left, so it was like some other guy, and then the right. other guy came back. So it was like, oh, of course it's gonna be the one. Hideki- Wait, Hideki, uh, oh, what's his last name? Kono did Wh- do. Whoever does all the Mario Karts did not do a Double Dash. He like left to do something. Oh, he was working on Ten Dogs. Oh right,
0: like that. yeah, that yeah. that checks
1: out. And then yeah, so I guess they went crazy with it, and then he came back. And like, all right, give it back. I franchise. believe
0: his name is Hideki Kono or something like that. We saw him at uh the best Nintendo does, yeah Nappy like- Road, yeah. What Abbey Road? Yeah, Abbey Road. No, no, no. He wasn't with them there. We saw Abbey him. Road. Day. Well, he was there. He, he was, was there. no, no, no. We saw him at Best Buy. Uh, when Nintendo did those couple oh. years of E3 at Best Buy, and we went yeah, to the yeah, Best yeah, Buy yeah. down the street from E3, and Nintendo brought all the developers over. Yeah, he was there. Yeah, we yeah. didn't meet him. We met Tezuka, the guy master producer of my all time favorite Mario game, Mario World. Worked with Mimo for thirty straight years. But yeah, he was there too. Um, but yeah, so Double Dash I think is one example of a game that kind of like resonates with my style. The other one I mentioned is Four Swords. Zelda Force Swords, which I think may actually be my all-time favorite co-op experience. Like, my high school buddy and Pretty I... Pretty good one. Yeah, it is. And my high school buddy and I used to play it a ton. We, um... Like, it does call... If you think about it, it does follow kind of the same motions of Double Dash, because you take an established uh, single-person experience, in this case Zelda, and then you somehow manage to seamlessly integrate co-op into it.
1: But what four it's swords? Actually, very Mario We in the sense that yeah. it, it, it's so, like you're it's multiple people just playing a single-player game, except when you interact. Well, Sora, well, so yeah. So what Four Swords did that I thought was particularly cool. Or thinking of the GameCube one, because then that one you can you're get really game far game apart, and then it's like you're yeah. kind of just doing your own thing, except when you you know decide to get next to each other for. You're thinking of Four thing. Swords Adventures more, so yeah, that one's actually cool because
0: the Game Boy mm-hmm. has connectivity, let you actually literally go into other rooms and caves and stuff without the others. Yeah, it would just branch off. But yeah, no, what I thought Four Swords did that was particularly cool. Was it was I think one well, of the first games on Nintendo system, or at least from Nintendo, that wasn't just straight co-op. It wasn't like, you know, Yoshi's Crafted World or the new Captain Toad special episode DLC that just came out, where it's just you're working towards one common goal being a level and that's it. Like, Four Swords, it was also about sabotaging other people along the way, about hitting players with that, about stealing rupees, all of which fed into this kind of ongoing tug-of-war that you know you have other players i feel like nintendo co-op games didn't really do up to that point i'm not saying it didn't exist i'm just saying i don't recall a time when nintendo like you know like donkey kong you mentioned you guys were trying to be a level together a goof troop you were working together but this was one of the few where it's like cooperative and competitive which was kind of kind of a cool angle and i'm not saying nintendo invented this concept but it's certainly one they've now applied to all their other franchises like mario 3d world you mentioned that before that's a bit more competitive slant on this concept, but you know, with the crown mechanic and everything. But it was basically this. It's basically four swords. Metro Prime Federation Force was basically that. Uh, like the other direction is a bit more cooperative and competitive, but it had some angles to it too that were a little more competitive. I think, like I think, this may be why I actually was into Federation Force, even though a lot of the collective internet wasn't. Is I. You know, like I get that it was a spin spinoff, um, and it didn't have Samus. And there was a time when everyone was clamoring for Metroid Prime Four, which, by the way, we're still waiting for Nintendo. Um, but I know it's announced, but and rebooted. But still, um, but yeah, <laughs> if you look at Federation, be the subtitle
1: Metroid Prime Four rebooted. rebooted. It's actually
0: not a horrible. They did this kind sort of it kinda re, works. Yeah, because what was Metroid Prime 3's subtitle? Uh, uh, Corruption. Oh, never mind. Yeah, I thought it was re something for some reason. They could totally do rebooted or re, re, re-corrupted, <laughs> re-retribution. Uh, <laughs> We're doing uh, it again. Yeah, Metroid Prime 4 back re- in the saddle. Re- retribution sounds good. Yeah, retribution sounds good. But anyway, uh, my point was, even though a bunch of people are obviously waiting for that, so they're upset about Federation Force. Like, If you look at Federation Force as an isolated game, it's basically Metroid Four Swords. And it works really well as that. And like, I feel like all this kind of came out of normal Four Swords. Um and, and what I find kind of funny is, like, if you keep tracing how this game has evolved, it has now circled back to Zelda again with Triforce Heroes on 3DS, uh, and that turned the four-player co-op into three-person co-op. Uh, but that also added this whole totem mechanic. How did that game do? It did decently. But but what I find funny about this one, so they add the totem mechanic, and then instead of it being quite as competitive as the original Force, which is a little more cooperative than in the past. It's so like even within the, its own formula, Nintendo's starting to add variation within Zelda's and. Yeah, I am just I just think it's cool that they did this in the first place. It was really fun. My friend and I, play play all the time. We beat it multiple times. Um, and then they were like, oh, hey, this works on all our franchises. It just started, like, farming out the idea. And now we have a bunch of cool co-op experiences as a result, like Mario and Metroid and whatnot. I'd, I'd be curious to see what they're going to do with Four Swords on Switch, to be honest. Like, it could be regular Four Swords. It could be Triforce Heroes. I'm kind of half expecting them to do what they did with the Game Boy Advance, with the original Four Swords, and just, like... Take the engine of an existing 2D Zelda for the platform and build a co op Zelda out of it. It's like, you know, it was a Link to Passing Game by Advance. Now it could be the Link's, the Link's Awakening remake. And they could just take that engine and plop multiplayer into it and make a separate game. And it's, it's, it's not that far fetched of an idea either, because just coincidentally, there's a rumor about a week ago, started by a guy on GameFAQs, who has a track record of getting a decent amount of Nintendo Direct stuff right. Not all of it. He got Star Fox Grand Prix wrong, but he's often right otherwise. And he said a second 2D Zelda is due out on Switch in 2019. Potentially one that's described as So are these rumors that are wrong,
1: ever wrong until like, it just happens? Like, well, it just hasn't happened yet. Like, it will happen eventually.
0: Well, Star Fox Grand Prix is going to be a test of that, isn't it? Oh, uh, You know what a good one is that was wrong right until it was wrong? It was Pokemon Stars from Eurogamer. Yeah. Gamer. That was a long rumor, and then Let's Go happened, and now yeah, Sword that's... and Shield happened, and yeah. we're never going to see stars. Yeah, and you can't even say
1: it's after. I mean, no, it's yeah. done.
0: It's it's That one's dead. But that one was going for yeah. like a year. The
1: moon has sailed. Or the, the space names have sailed already, Yeah, pretty right? much. Now they're on to medieval
0: times, not the restaurant. Um, There's actually a weird thing with Pokemon. Did you see that they trademarked Armored Mewtwo? I'm starting to wonder if um the alone forms are going to be Armored Up Pokemon. Like I'm not the first one. I think this. It's all over the internet. Makes sense. It so
1: does go with the sword and shield the, Yeah, it fits my thing. I don't Could be like brish. a new item you equip them with armor? I don't know. That's a, it's
0: an interesting idea. What, like and a, what does an, it do? Is it just a defense thing, or is it also an offense thing? Do they get special weapons?
1: Do Pokemon have weaponry? Yeah, because I mean, they it be already already. Items in the game already kind of have that homework. Like, I mean, you have the focus sash, like if you go from full health to zero health in one hit, you will survive with one HP no matter what. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's basically armor. So yeah. So do you flush
0: that out more somehow? I don't or know how play them I... completely. Yeah. You know? it's, it's like a lot of questions, but yeah, well, they copyrighted it. game they free creature and Nintendo. All three were on the copyright. So, but anyway, the point is, him, I wasn't bringing that. The thing I was saying is, um, the game facts guy. So he's saying, yeah, second, smaller eShop release of a 2d Zelda is coming this year. Which to me sounds like it could totally be Four Swords in the Links Awakening engine, and I'm totally for that. So, yeah, I'm am just, just saying, if Nintendo. If you want to do it, like I won't object. And clearly, I am the deciding factor on these things. So go for it. But were, were, I mean, were you ever a big Four Swords guy? Which did you I play, guess if any? Not
1: really. I mean, it was fun. The only one I I played it once on the Game Boy Advance. Did you mostly do the GameCube one? Because that's the one you were talking about before, Four Swords Adventures. I've beaten the GameCube one, and then, I mean, we had the one on 3DS because of the free promotion. Oh, or yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, we played that, you and me. Yeah, but... Yeah, I guess it was never like a... It like, didn't oh, click that's... with you the same way it did with me. Yeah, it was just like, all right, we'll play like if people are available. Like, it was yeah. fun, but it, it wasn't... Yeah, I, I, I
0: will say it's funny. For like all this ranting I've been doing about how much I love the first Four Swords and the concept and how the concept evolved across Nintendo, I didn't really get into Four Swords Adventures on GameCube as much. Um, I think part of it was the hassle of setting up the game Boy, GameCube, Game Boy Advance link connectivity stuff. I don't know
1: how we even, like, how long it took us to do it. I feel like we marathoned the whole game in one day or something. Yeah, well,
0: I, I did not, and that's partly the downfall, um, because, like, it was too much content for me, personally. Like, I, you know, like I say, I don't always have access to play co-op with someone, even though I have parents and friends, supposedly. um, Like, I just, because of that, I tended to gravitate towards the shorter overall experiences ones you could be in a single session or two with a friend like mm-hmm. the original four swords so i think that's why i liked the original so much but four swords adventures just kind of fell to the wayside and like honestly I, I hearing that second rumored zelda game maybe a smaller release is actually more exciting to me than any other parvix so i'm like oh smaller release oh it could be like old like original four swords that'd be awesome like even like even triforce heroes was cool but was a bit for my personal preference was a bit long but but yeah, it's uh, I don't know. I think I think you know, I think the best way to describe my type of co-op actually is um it's what we did with Tetris 99 the other week.
1: That I is, mean, now that is creative co-op.
0: Yeah, so we all know that Tetris collectively has no co-op whatsoever, but you and I found a way with friends to make a five-person experience out of Tetris and it was super fun. It's kind of this idea of like a game you wouldn't expect to do co-op, doing co-op and doing it well, except this time we kind of did it, not the game itself. But basically What we did is we had one person manning the actual block placement with the D-pad or the face buttons. We had another person aiming the opponent targeting with the control stick on the same controller. So two people on one controller. We had two other people acting as scouts looking to see specifically who to target on the screen. And then we had one last person reciting the next block to the primary player by basically whispering in their ear in a weird, like, way. And while some may call it cheating, which, to be fair, they're not wrong, um it was still a lot of fun, and had everyone involved in a game that, like, normally wouldn't work for anyone but the one player. So, like, and it, it was quick to jump in and out of, and it was very much, like, my type of co-op. Even though it wasn't a tr- actual co-op, but, like, that's why I'm sort of getting out with all this. It's really... like, taking a game you expect to work, that you're used to playing solo, and be like, oh, cool, I could do this with friends, too, and it actually works.
1: Yeah, especially because, like, obviously Tetris is a one-player game, and the fact we got it to work with people that, you know, were just Experiencing it, yeah, not playing like it was. It a was really cool. It was like a very Wario game and Wario kind of deal. Some, where, yeah, totally. Where everyone's playing, but you just have one gamepad. Mm-hmm. Which I always like this kind of games.
0: The, the funny thing is, uh, we never actually won a match with the setup. And yeah, meanwhile, we, two we of of got with like
1: third place. I think. Yeah,
0: I think we got third or fourth. And then meanwhile, two of our other friends who were not part of our little crazy scheme got first first place on their own without needing a sort of setup like this. So. I don't know what that says about the five of us. I
1: think that we got paired up with really, really good people, and maybe. they got lucky. That might
0: be it. I, I think what we need to do is we need to do this during the next special cup. Like, just think. If we did it during the maximum cup last week, we could have won $10 between five people. That's enough for yeah. each of us to buy a single bottle of vitamin water on Nintendo's dime. With tech? Except not really because it was Nintendo. my Nintendo coins, so we could buy nothing of value except a fifth of a game maybe. So actually, never mind. There was no point of doing it, of us doing it collectively. Oh, unless we got a multiplayer game together.
1: Hmm. Yeah, hmm. That could have worked.
0: Yeah. So I guess for the next cup, it's cool that Tetris is finally doing all those different like competitions. Like they had the maximum cup. I assume more are coming. Well, but, really and there's real, that. real prize, real money on the line. Mm. Well, Nintendo money, but Nintendo bucks. But still, like that's cool. it has a free game, and then they're giving you real Nintendo bucks for it. I don't understand the people that complained. They were just like. This is only $10? It's like, dude, it's a free game, and they're giving you free money if you're good at
1: the free game. What more do you want? Yeah, it's really hard to be good at that free game, though.
0: Uh, some people are. I mean, 999... To, to consistently get first 999 place, people every were time good you, enough.
1: Every time you don't get first place you already have to win like the next two just to make up for it or something. like So that.
0: I have a theory. I tweeted this last weekend. I have a theory that the game purposely goes easy on you in the first, Like this is like a. I am a Tetris 99 truther. Is all I'm saying. So I think the game purposely is programmed in such a way that it goes easy on you in the first match to make you feel good about yourself, and then it starts just whittling away at you and making you feel horrible, and just your your hopes and dreams are just crushed the more you play because i always start and i'm like "Ooh, 22nd on my first try this is gonna be a good one and then the next eight are like 44 52 39 i'm like wait but i got 22nd i could get back to that and i just keep going and going and going like if there's an in-app purchase setup i would be suckered into it 100 it's
1: not like those people that play monster hunter that whenever there's like an item they want the game knows not to produce that item as often which is obviously impossible, but there—I yeah. don't know—but for whatever reason, it happens enough that people feel suspicious about it.
0: Dude, listen, AI is no joke. I mean, but then there's machine comf- learning is real. They know, but
1: there's also confirmation bias. It's, it's like, I know. Oh, yeah. it's toy confirmation bias. Yeah. That's why
0: I'm calling myself a, 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 Tetris-, truther, a Tetris 99 truther, yeah, yeah, which yeah. is very hard to say without accidentally saying 911 truther. <laughs> but, <laughs> um, but yeah, so I guess that's my my co-op life. Was I really like when Nintendo did odd things with what was single player things? um I mean, all the other stuff, your is great, too, like, co-ops, co-op, but, like, I don't know, something about, like, like honestly, the Tetris 99 f- weird five-person thing we did was more exciting to me than the concept of playing two-player Yoshi's Crafted World or two-player Captain Toad.
1: Yeah, so those things those are fun, but they were also, especially Woolly World, like, I would say I really loved it, but that one was also just another game we were both playing, another yeah. single-player game we were playing Sam Same with, Same with the Kirbys.
0: Kirby does that, too. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, very much. But that. yeah, like I feel like there's just like the platform, the two, the co-op platformers have kind of, excluding Mario because it went kind of four swords, but the others have kind of like hit a wall where it's just like, oh, it's just you and a friend are like together, and that's it. That's it. Like that's the entire premise. It's like you're together forever, forever. But anyway, yeah. So that's um that's the co-op tale. We will be back with more co-op at the end of this episode. Talk about uh, Rico. But in the meantime, on to news. Uh, I, I honestly didn't think Nintendo would have anything new to announce because they had a pretty packed February. I mean, we had the Nintendo Direct. We had Reggie retiring. We had Pokemon Sword and Shield, you know, all that. But lo and behold, they had one more, one more thing up their sleeve, and it was actually kind of a surprise, a new Labo kit, specifically a VR Labo kit. Which is pretty fast turnaround from a rumor about a month ago. I think two episodes ago we were talking about the rumor of, will Switch be getting VR capabilities? And then Nintendo's like, yes, it will. And you'll be building it yourself. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. They it's, want uh, it, you build it. You want you build it. And it's VR, but I use VR loosely because, I mean, like, technically, yes, it is VR. You slot the Switch into a cardboard pair of gar- uh, goggles, kind of like Google Cardboard. And they put up to your face. And then off you go into a
1: world. So they're basically the but, uh, equivalent of, what was that thing called? street view google view from the wii u or like oh yeah you're thinking of you're you're thinking of street the
0: google street view app for wii u where you're holding up the gamepad but there was was also
1: a thing where like you pay for like these videos like you could be flying with geese like the only one that was worth keeping was the free trial one that give you like snippets of each one where you're like in carnival and then you're like underwater yeah, and but all you could do –
0: and it was as if you're in a little, like, bubble – you're like a bubble boy situation. You can move the gamepad and it would be, like, above you. It's yeah, above you. Yeah, and things
1: right would interact with you and – Yeah, was... Yeah,
0: I think it's kind of like that but more interactive because it does have the different co- toy cons. There are six potential toy cons you can have here. Um, there's a blaster, an elephant, a camera, a wind pedal, and uh, a bird that requires you to look up its butt. <laughs> But yeah, I don't you know, which anymore. is which is weird. But to be fair, that same bird Toy Con also very cleverly turns the Joy Con control stick into its eyeball. So like you win some, you lose some. You are stuck like <laughs> it's butt but its eyeball is pretty awesome. So I don't know. But um yeah, it's a watch is what I'm saying. But yeah, like they are giving interactive things. I just don't really know how interactive they are. Like they're not Nintendo's being very up- upfront about this. Like they're They're promising, not mind-blowing, alternate realities or experiences. They're saying that it's going um, to be basic and simple. Like, literally, they use the word basic and simple in the press release and then go on to say it's, quote, uh, it's a way to, quote, introduce VR to kids and kids at heart. So this is definitely more like the street view thing and less like Oculus or Vive or whatever. But... I don't know. It's it's kind of hard to say. I I honestly think one of the most interesting things about it is how they're dividing up the kit. So they have the traditional $80 price point, which is what we're used to with Labo, and that gives you all the Toy-Cons. And then they're doing a cheaper $40 kit, which just comes with the blaster and the goggles and to me that that seems like a smart move from nintendo like we talked before about how labo hasn't exactly been selling like hotcakes or saying the world on fire like you may recall also from one of our january episodes that the entire series of labo has sold over a million but the majority of that million was the original variety kit and not so much the other two like the vehicle kit barely made a dent it seems um yet nintendo's like not really giving up you they keep saying they're playing the long game they introduced it to schools with stem Projects here and in Europe, and they had like a random tour going on in Japan this summer for it. And uh, somewhat recently, they started dropping the old kits to forty bucks, which is can, not coincidentally the price point of the new starter kit. So, which only has you know the two instead of six toy cons. So it seems like they were testing the interest in the cheaper price point specifically in preparation for them rolling out this VR starter kit. And um, yeah, that's actually kind of smart. I feel like I mean, really, it boils down to knowing. Upfront, that like Switch, it can't offer a VR experience that competes with high end decade headsets, so or even like high end phone VR headsets where you have like the four K screen in your face. I mean, the Switch's resolution is like seven twenty, so you are not getting the the like pinnacle of VR here. And it seems like Nintendo's kind of addressing that head on with the price and with the comments in the press release, and they're kind of making like a cardboard ViewMaster almost, mm-hmm. but they're like really embracing it could that could be really fun for kids. Yeah, like they're like a blast even you could say so yeah it seems like they're basically taking the buzz of vr to breathe new life into the labo brand or at least that's the intention we'll see if it works but it does lead to the bigger question of like how will this actually work what will you be playing like is it like street view like you're saying or is it somewhat more interactive because unlike past labo reveals we have not seen or heard a thing about the games there's one vague sentence in the press release. And on the repeated Instagram promotional sponsored posts that keep coming up in my feed that says you can shoot aliens with the blaster and take photos of sea life with the camera. What does that look like? How does that work? I have no idea because Nintendo has not put out a single screenshot or video and the thing's out in three weeks on April 12th.
1: Compatible with Resident Evil 7.
0: Could you imagine? Or like if they did a fatal frame but with the camera. Oh, man. But it's just like, what, like, why? I want to know what the wind pedal does. I want to know what happens when I look up the bird's butt. But I can't because there's no video and there's no screenshots. And it's out in three
1: weeks. Work with Mario Kart because they seem to be pushing it with Mario Kart. Well, they're only pushing the ones that make sense. Yeah, like, could they do something with Mario Kart? You could be a
0: spectator. Dude, if you were just, like, just a like, first-person view of, like, you took over a Shy Guy's body and, like, the, the goggles were just the Shy Guy mask and you're just so looking around, yes. I would be so for that. If if online, you could see the real people on the crowd. Yeah, what I
1: imagine it would look like if you're in Viewmaster mode, you just become someone on the crowd, mm-hmm. and then you know, you're just seeing the, the drivers drive by, and then there's, like, nothing. And sometimes and concessions by come by,
0: again. or concessions come by, and they're like, who wants, like, a, yeah, a, like a Koopa Chupa lollipop? Like sometimes <laughs> you
1: could maybe throw items at the drivers randomly.
0: That would actually... You know, honestly... This would be kind of cool. The, I the, I don't think it might be or may, yeah maybe throw items to I'm not at them. Like you're helping them, not hurting them. Because that's the. That'd be no funny way. if you could hurt them. Like, someone you, about you, to yeah, get first place.
1: So they're like, oh, the crowd killed me this time. That would actually be a really fun mode. They caught um. Yeah, if race it's the, day. Yeah, if it's a the, the races mode. If it's like a separate day where you're like, know, like, oh, let's make the the audience a factor. That would be cool. But they I mean, could do that for the double dash we're dreaming up. The new double dash. Actually, yeah, because then um, I, I would imagine they're like a button or something like and let's say like there's a track like that doesn't have like a crowd throughout the whole throughout the whole vicinity right right. maybe you're just like in a hot air balloon so maybe like with a button press you just like teleport to different parts of the map so you can always that would be actually
0: that would actually be pretty cool and you know what it would bring back in a weird way asymmetric gameplay the wii use mo nintendo never gives up on an idea So, like, here's asymmetric gameplay in a new way that works with Switch. I'm actually, like, weirdly for this. I don't know if it has, like, depth. I don't think it does, but it would be fun, like, every so often to do that mode. I think realistically, like, the mode I can best guesstimate, because I don't know how real that one is, is the elephant game. So there's a toy con where you have a giant elephant trunk. And the only reason I think I can guesstimate this is because there's already a game kind of like this back in like 2013 i think i went to Indiecade in culver city you know they do every year a big indie game event and the oculus was the hot new thing it was their first year with a booth and they had a game called dumpy going elephants and dumpy what you elephant. did is the entire spirit experience was first person in an oculus helmet and all you did was swing your head around and this giant trunk would be your nose and it would slack things and you just go on rails and hit things with your trunk and I imagine the Elephant Labo game will work somewhat similarly. Maybe you're catching rings or doing something a little more gamey than just, like, whacking things with the trunk. But I assume it's like, going to be a first-person, an FP, uh, FPE, first-person elephant game.
1: Oh, yeah, I remember you describing that game now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. it was I'm a talking... long time
0: ago. It was like six years ago. Oh, God. It was like five and a half years ago. Whew, we're getting old. But, um, yeah, I can see Labo doing something like that. But, yeah, I don't know what else they're going to do. I mean, maybe the... The biggest hint might be um, that the secondary selling point Nintendo has been emphasizing in the press release for Labo VR is that Labo VR is social VR. And, I mean, it makes sense. It's on Switch, after all. And Switch, you know, multiplayer and social gaming are a huge component of Switch. But Nintendo really emphasized in the press release, like, how easy it will be to share your VR experience. You know, you, uh, they're saying that, like, there's no, there's no head strap, so you can just pass it along. Like, all these things that would be like, oh, that's bad for VR, and Intel's like, no, it's good for social VR, which they're not wrong, it is. So you could literally just hand off your headset and do round robins of games. So if that's the angle they're taking, and it seems like it is, I suspect that means we're going to see shallower games overall. Kind of like more like what we saw in the Variety Kit and less like what we saw in the Vehicle Kit's open world. Um... I think it's also interesting that essentially no head strap means you have to just sit there and hold the cardboard up to your face the whole yeah. time. And I, I, you know, I was saying a second ago how Nintendo never gives up on an idea. You know, like e-reader led to Amiibo, GameCube, Game Boy connectivity led to Wii U. I, they're now just doing the Virtual Boy again. They have found a way to make VR just as uncomfortable for more than a few minutes. But instead of it being red and blue headache-inducing images, it's now your arms get tired and cardboard rubbing in yeah, your face.
1: Which means no experience could last more than a couple minutes.
0: Yeah. So, because, yeah, I mean, I, you're just getting annoyed by having cardboard in your face the whole time. So, I guess my takeaway from all this is that I have no idea what to expect from Labo at this point. I'll just mean this kit. Like, this sounds like it's going to be looser stuff. But everything about the kit suggests Nintendo has kind of learned what does and doesn't work for Labo. Like, you know, they got the idea of, oh, we need a hook in VR. We need to make it more kid-friendly. But then at the same time, it kind of makes me go back to wondering, like, why didn't they push Labo harder as a brand with more traditional game ties? I mean, you immediately were like, how are they going to do it with Mario Kart? Cause that's what we want to know. That's what you do when you expand a brand. Like, all exposure is good exposure, right? Like, having the motorbike and wheel toy con support in Mario Kart was a clever way to extend the brand. So then when, like, Yoshi's Crafted World didn't offer a tie-in beyond the Labo yeah, costume... that's probably the biggest anomaly. I know. Like, I came to... A, Yet. Yeah. I and, it, and granted, it's not out for two weeks. It could surprise us all. But realistically, it's not going to have it. And I, I, at that point, I was like, oh, Labo as a brand is underperformed for Nintendo. I think I it said this on the show they're gonna move on that's it labo's done but then boom here's labo vr it's actually more squarely aimed at kids than ever before and you're telling me that the crafting theme video game that is also aimed squarely at kids isn't going to do anything with toy cons whatsoever like that's such a missed opportunity especially when you see third party games doing a better job about this like demo uh that's that music game supports the toy con piano and more recently, there is a, a first-person motorcycle racing game, like a realistic-looking one in terms of graphic style, called Moto Rush GT. They just confirmed when it comes out next month, it will support the Toy-Con motorbike uh, handlebar thing. So I, it's weird that Intel's not really stepping up. Like, I like thinking about it further now, I, I I almost wonder if one reason Labo died off a bit. Up to this point is because most people didn't know what to do with the toy cons after they built them and played the six mini games or whatever. Like, yes, they can be recycled or thrown away and yeah, that was a whole pitch about them being cardboard, like, oh, it's not gonna be like rock band you're not gonna have these stacking up. But if you're paying eighty dollars for the full set of toy cons, wouldn't you want more out of them than just those little minigames? I feel like I would. I mean the, the the best parallel I can think of is like the Wii Zapper. That thing was twenty bucks. It came no, with Link's no, crossbow no. I don't training.
1: What I forgot that existed.
0: It had yeah, but like it at looking back, sure it wasn't a big deal. But at the time, it actually had a lot of support because it had games like Ghost Squad and Resident Evil Umbrella Chronicles, and you know you got this twenty dollars thing with the game. But then other games, like real full games, came out, or, and other games added it as modes and stuff, and that helped justify the cost. Granted, the cost was much less, but still it helped justify the cost. With Labo, once you once you're done with what comes with what do you do where's the extended value why do you now have all these cardboard things lying around your house and the thing that i find so weird is it's a lesson nintendo itself successfully learned from amiibo like when toys to life was at its peak there's amiibo there's lego dimensions there's disney infinity and of course there's skylanders right yeah and everyone except amiibo was used for only one game or one series of games and they all died off because you can't justify continually buying accessories and plastic for one game. Amiibo worked and continues to work because it's used across a whole bunch of things in very small ways. Like it's diversified. Labo needs to do that. Like even if it's disposable, it's mu- it's it's about the money as much as it's about the storage. And like people are spending eighty bucks or even forty bucks on a VR headset and a gun and nothing else.
1: Yeah, you gotta you- give
0: them more to do. Like you you can't just like the only way this is gonna work.
1: Yeah, what's your piano up to?
0: It's sitting. Just sitting. I don't even know where. It might be under a desk. <laughs> it might not even be in a closet. You don't know where I can, it is. I, I think it's, it's so under big. a desk. I think it's under a desk. Like in the footwell of a desk I don't sit at. Huh. But like if there were multiple... If a, a couple other games that support it, I'd bust it out. I like building that piano. It was fun. But then once it's done, what do you do with it? And that's the problem, I feel like. And like on the broader level, I think there's hope for Lava VR. It's just like this seems like a weird thing that nintendo still hasn't figured out how to address and it's only and it's probably the thing dragging labo down but what nintendo is good at and what i think there's hope for its labo vr is nintendo's always very good at knowing when to zig when other people expect them to zag and this seems very much like an example of that like there was what felt like a pretty strong vocal pushback from people about how nintendo should do vr you know like uh i feel like as soon as like i feel like the conversation would be like oh nintendo's doing vr what crazy headset did they come up with and then it's like well actually it's a super cheap thing that lets you perform a colonoscopy on a bird with your eyes while simultaneously being social and like that is like oh yeah okay that sounds like nintendo <laughs> and it and it's gonna work it will probably work on some level but what was weird is there are articles about why it was a bad idea there are people talking online about what how nintendo botched labo vr into the whole nine yards and it's just funny because like Longevity of the kits aside, this actually seems like a pretty good idea. They're actually targeting kind of a hole in the VR market, which is like the starter VR, the young kids. Granted, the box says seven and up only, much like 3DS, but still,
1: like, yeah, because I mean, there's
0: an opportunity here.
1: I mean, if you want a good VR, set, you already know where to go. Like, there's plenty of high-end VR headsets, so like, why even compete? I mean, yeah, if, go like, after a different demographic. Which is literally what Nintendo. As you said, like, they always do. I mean, why compete with PS4 and Xbox when you can fill the niche? So. Yeah, and, and look how successful it is. switch best-selling consoles last year. Yeah. So,
0: so. It, it's actually kind of, like, this whole, the weird reaction people are having is actually kind of reminiscent of what's been going on with Nintendo in the mobile space. And I'm not saying this is one-to-one. It is not. But it's kind of funny, the parallel between them. Because a report came out by the Wall Street Journal, um, to was like a week or two back, and it described how Nintendo's mobile partners are being held back by nintendo in what sort of monetization schemes they could do with the game and I, I think my favorite quote in the article is from an employee of CyberAgent, agent the side uh, games parent company so the partner of dragalia loss and as he put it nintendo is not interested in making a large amount of revenue from a single smartphone game if we managed the game alone we would have made a lot more it's so "Like wow, okay, that's very matter of fact." But uh, ultimately, I think it's like you know, it's a similar thing with Labo. Nintendo has a different goal than what people think they have because for Nintendo, they don't want to damage their brand, and just like the the way that everyone else is trying to convince Nintendo to do a certain thing, they're sitting here and being like, "Nope, we know what we're doing." Whether it's Labo reactions or whether VR specifically, or whether it's the mobile thing, so it's just kind of interesting how like Nintendo always does their own thing. I, I will say, I am curious. Just how much crazier the in app purchasing would get in Nintendo's mobile games if they let their partners run wild. Because it's not like Fire Emblem and Dregale Lost don't have multiple layers of gotcha systems as is. Like, yes. how much more ridiculous is it going to get? Like,
1: I mean, and, it's it, funny because it yeah. feels like there's a ridiculous amount of gotcha stuff in Dragali Lost because I haven't played Fire Emblem Heroes. Uh huh. But, I mean, I did play that game for a good while and it never felt intrusive or never. Or there was never a point where I was like, man, maybe I should have spent the buck. Like, I always felt like I had ample. Amount of everything, it was just a little overwhelming in the beginning. Oh, it was very <laughs>
0: overwhelming in the beginning. But what's funny is like, Trigaleo Loss has made 75 million dollars. It's not like it's not that's making crazy. money. I know, and then like, if you look at that, it's already ahead of uh Mario Run and Animal Crossing's totals. This is from Sensor Tower, the analytic one. Oh, um, I, mean,
1: I know, but I feel still, like they were like, missing the game part. They kind of were, oh no, Mario, Mario, was Mario was fine. I mean, that, that, it just had a beginning and an end. The- I mean, I played... Yes, it did. <laughs> I mean, well, I mean, the other ones... No, I know what like you mean. It's not
0: a service. It wasn't a game of service.
1: It was yeah, a good game. Mean, I beat the levels, and I was happy. I didn't yeah. really care to build my own total city or whatever. My own Mushroom Kingdom.
0: Yeah, and it's like... It's, it's interesting because Dragalia Lost is more of a service and made 75 million, and I understand some games like, we can make more. But then you look at, like, Fire Emblem. That's at half a billion dollars since it launched two years ago, coring again to Sensor uh, Tower. And I I, I guess it just... I don't know. It seems like that's an opportunity there. And meanwhile, was like, "Well, we could make more money." It's like, do you not see the opportunity? Where Nintendo's already making half a billion dollars? Oh. Like, come on, guys. I know you could keep making more, but like, it's about you know, it boils down to Nintendo having very specific goals and want, and you know, willing to buck trends to make it happen. Essentially, I mean, we've talked about before how Nintendo's president Shigeru um, Furukawa. He wants to make the mobile game pillar a billion dollar business, but at the same time, Nintendo has a brand image to maintain. They want to use these games as drivers for other products. Like, there's a reason they're not just saying, "Pump as much money into it." They want to actually have sustainability here. Which, again, in the mobile world, sustainability is kind of a crazy concept. So, Nintendo zig's when you expect it in a zag. But, but yeah, in terms of the the Halo thing, it's actually kind of funny. Just the other day, the Nintendo, uh, the Nintendo Life, Nintendo Life had an interview with the director of Fire Emblem Heroes. And he was saying specifically about the, um, you know, trying to use it to convert people. He was saying how Nintendo is looking into how to convert people from heroes to three houses when it comes out in July. And that's a big part of Nintendo's strategy, which actually now that I'm saying this out loud makes me realize, how do they not know how they're going to do that? It's out in three and a half months. How are they only now going, what can we do with our game that we have to develop for on both sides of the equation here in order to make this like, you know, make it a halo effect? Like, it's a little a little late to, unless they're probably already working on it. But you think you'd say, we have some plans. It's not, oh, no, we're going to figure it out when there's three months. But um, you know, one thing they should not do, honestly, um, they should n- free items for connecting
1: it, I guess. No, that, that'd be an
0: okay thing. I was going to say, whatever they do, do not show the, uh, the Halo, the Fire Emblem Hero players, the box for Three Houses. Oh. Am I right? Like, that's, can, we, can we talk about that for a minute? That box.
1: Cause yeah, there was no What is going assurance.
0: on? Yeah, What is going on there? So you've got – for those who haven't seen it, well, we have a link in the blog post for this episode. And you can go check it out. But we've got – they've got three characters representing each of the three houses. And, like, never mind the fact that they're represented by that tired trope of three primary colors. I'll overlook that. My bigger concern is that one of them is just kind of hanging upside down from the ceiling. And his bow doesn't even, like, line up in the lens flare. So in the middle of the box, there's this nice lens flare, and all their weapons come together – and then his bow just looks like it's, like, not lined up. Now, it's possible it's curved, but it looks disjointed. And that's bad art, even if it's it not incorrect
1: art. Yeah, it doesn't look like it's curved. It just looks like an error.
0: Yeah, but it, and it's weird because it's, like, on all the art. It's but on the Switch way, yeah, icon. It it's like on that. the website. It's on, yeah, it's just, like, I don't know. It, it's one of the few times Nintendo has struck out with a design, in yeah. my opinion.
1: Kind of reminds me of, um. Well, this is already kind of old now, but yeah. um, back when Frozen came out, there was that. Infamous, I guess, quote unquote, like animation error where Elsa's hair goes through her arm. Like, how'd that get through Disney? Yeah, like, it, it, QA, <laughs> it, it's, and it's um, while she's seeing like Let It Go, which is like the you know, the big like, like the, literally the key the, part the of the movie maker moment. Yeah, and I don't know, like for me personally, I find it really hard to believe like it's actually going through her arm
0: because I mean, it's clipping, isn't it? Is that what's actually happening?
1: Well, no, because um, I mean. You don't really actually see it going through her arm, you're just it just looks like it does oh because yeah. she's like she's like pulling she has like her hair in a ponytail, and it's like on the back of her head, and as she like drags it forward uh-huh it looks like the tail part like goes through her arm oh that's but just but because she's but because of the way she's tilted, you don't actually see the hair going through, but I feel like because it looks like it, I feel like it's enough of an issue that Disney should have avoided that, yeah, because everyone like feels like that it's just clipping through, yeah, but I also feel like. You're looking at an animation that you're animating for months on end over and over again. I feel like they definitely would have seen that, especially once they're like, you know, watching it because you have to watch these things so Right. And many they show times. it to so
0: many different people and they have test screenings. And yeah. I, mean, I understand a test screen, no one's going to shout out, her hair is clipping. But like you would think, yeah, like, uh, like, like I'm sure, like,
1: like, I'm sure, like, from one angle, like, oh, okay, that's how it worked. But they just picked the wrong angle. Yeah. It's kind of like, when I like to think like oh why isn't mario's suit red when everyone else's colors like suits match it was like i'm sure at some point someone must have tried out red we just yeah. didn't see that because i yeah. mean they try these they try every at least that like why is it yellow though i mean he's never been associated with the outside side of mario maker the only
0: thing i can think of is um it's just a lighter shade of the tanuki suit which
1: was brown I'm very much lighter shade. Much lighter. Listen, it's a different color. Listen,
0: it's so light, it's like, it's not even the same color. No, but like, I wonder, I'm thinking it might.
1: Think like t- It's that same color palette. Like, there was obviously a problem with red that they couldn't have done it, but. Yeah, it might have been too much red. Or maybe it would have looked too similar to Peach? I don't know.
0: No, because hers is like hot paint, like bright pink. Because then that would mean Mario and Peach look too similar in, in normal outfits, too. Which yeah, they so, don't, I don't know. It's weird. But like, at least that one is justified. At least the hair thing you're saying is justified. This is just like. Bad art, even yeah. if it's not no, yeah, correct. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think I think the I think the Lego like, thing also fits as it's bad art. Like it's not oh, correct no, yeah, art. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah that's the thing. Like, yeah.
1: yeah, like like even if this is correct, they still shouldn't have made mm-hmm, it like like this. Mm-hmm. Like with the frozen thing, like even if it I is agree. correct, they still shouldn't have made people think that it was wrong. Yeah, I totally agree. It's it's weird. And it, what's really weird I mean, it still me, made all the money, so obviously they're like true. The like, issue in the next one. Yeah,
0: clearly they did something right. But and the thing that bothered me about the Fire Emblem box is like it's not like Fire Emblem is known for amazing box art. Like, most of the boxes, is, you know, most of them are just a collage of characters thrown together. But there's some really cool ones. Like, like, Awakening like, had a really I nice I box I like the art. Awakening one, I really like Awakenings. Um, and, like, the special editions it's over here. It's raining heroes. It's heroes. Hallelujah. Which isn't but,
1: it the same as Fire Emblem Heroes? Aren't they just raining heroes in opposite directions?
0: Uh, Fire Emblem Heroes. Let's put up the game like, they're so. raining at each other? Well, that's just charging at each other, which is a standard. Uh, well, art some are, I, I
1: remember some are falling from the sky and some are coming. Well, up I'm gonna.
0: I have the game right here. Let's find out. Everyone, you're you're watching. Oh, well, hold on. No, they replaced it. It's just it's just a it's a. Oh, it went away. It was a person inside a person inside another person on top of another. It was a oh. nush, a Russian nesting doll of fire emblem people. Huh. A fire emblem nesting doll, but no. The uh, the thing is like fire emblem's art isn't bad per se. Some of it's kind of bland. But, like special editions always look good. Like we were just saying, awakening looks good. It's just weird that this one is so bad. Like Claude hanging upside down with his just disjointed bow, and like making it so overly saturated with those primary cards. Just n- no, no, thank you, Nintendo. I'm sorry, but you guys, you guys have not done a bad box in so many years, but yeah, you, you did a bad box.
1: you done goofed.
0: You done goofed. Speaking of bad decisions, this is a weird transition. How about Masahiro Sakurai? How's that for a bad guy? I mean, he himself is a great dude. Don't get me wrong. He gave us Kirby. He's the brain behind Smash Bros. He's very dedicated to his craft. He did Meteos. He did Meteos. Oh, I love Meteos. Meteos was so... I, I want to redo... Like, make a Switch Meteos. Especially now in the age of Tetris 99 where, like, Switch is the puzzle system. They're literally doing TV commercials for Tetris 99 in Japan. Like, oh. they could bring back Meteos. Really? They should bring back huh. Meteos. Yeah, they're promoting it as a way to promote um, Switch Online as a service. But yeah, like what they should bring back meals. Anyway, the pro Anyway, the point is if they're going to bring back meals, they need to make sure they do it right and, and give – you got a clue by which I mean a text by which I mean you didn't mute your phone. Anyway, they should – um, they need to do it right here's the That could have been
1: Ace Attorney. That could have been like our like, – oh, that's the that's the sound for our podcast show segment. Get a clue. Where yeah, we, okay, um, go. No, Let's kidding. do no, it. I, nope, no, no, nope, nope. You started. No, I, I thought what it could the clue about. What's the clue about? Um, in an ideal world, we would have like a mystery setup that I, don't know, wow. I guess someone could figure out. Be good. that Like we left clues throughout the podcast. Maybe it was like some key If hint. you listen
0: at every 36 second mark of every minute and string together the words of those, you have a secret message telling you that we're actually the devil. And if you play us backwards, we say, just kidding, we're actually Angel. Wow. Because that's your name. Yeah. You see. Anyway, yes. see. Um. But no, what I was saying about Sakurai is he's a cool dude who gives us stuff. The problem is he's too dedicated to his craft. To the point that it's like I'm actually like a little concerned. So he did this interview with Japan's Nintendo Dream Magazine. And he was talking about when he gets sick. And they said specifically he had like a stomach thing going on. And they said do you take time off when that happens? Which is a respectable normal question that normal people ask. And then Sakurai gave the not good answer of no I don't. I just get an IV drip and go to work like normal.
1: Hmm. That's not Which, good. Which,
0: again, like, it's cool. He's so dedicated. But, like, dude, soccer, you already don't take vacations. You already overworked. You got, like, carpal tunnel or something from working so hard. Like, you had serious wrist issues. Don't – you deserve a day off. Like, don't do that. That's, like, work as an addiction. That is bad. And the the, the thing that's, like, concerning – like, first of all, like, if anyone out there is, like, oh, wow, that's so cool of I No, it's not. Um like I yes, it means you get your DLC one or two days earlier, but like I'd rather wait for anything to ensure that the dude who's making it is actually like healthy and like has a good work life balance. Like, that's bad. But it what's more concerning is like in Sakurai's case, he's choosing to do this himself. But in a lot of people's cases, that's just the crunch cycle. Not to the point of IV drips, but like the video game industry is mean. <laughs> like it does not treat people well and i feel like you angel going to animation it's similar circumstances right like
1: crunches yeah television and feature are definitely a lot more lenient just because you know everything is spaced out pretty nicely for the most part especially if you go actually if you're in dream if you get a job at dreamworks pixar disney pretty much those three any of the, the major big hitters you're it's pretty much like a normal job. Like there's you don't really have to worry too much about crunch and you don't really have to worry about getting laid out too much. They pretty much keep you as long as they need. Right. Pretty it's much the outsource studios. Yeah, that. Any other studio, especially yeah. in video games, it's almost always like a project by project basis. And even then, like I mean like remember LA Noir, like that game did really well. Yeah. And suddenly the whole studio closed down. Like it's just like a it's, normal it's thing. Bad. For like even when you're when you think you're safe, you're really not like you pretty much always have to be ready with your portfolio and cover letter. I well, guess. Well, like look what happened with Telltale. We're just kind oh, of yeah, exactly. like, yeah. Yeah, it, it's weird because like, like again, they were like, announcing Wolf of a Wolf Among Us Two and all these other things. Like yeah. literally the week
0: before they were announcing things, and then luckily Skybound came and picked up some of the employees and some of the projects. But like, yeah, yeah. and it, it's, it's like the, the the weird thing is like, so Sakurai, it's like okay, he has a work addiction problem, perhaps, and he should lay off the work and not do an IV drip because your body should heal. But um, but that's him. That's him personally. The problem, and that's his weird life choice that I don't really support. But the problem is for these other companies and crunches, you don't. You're not choosing. You're being forced if you want to stay there because there's no like. Whenever we never really talk about this on podcast, but there's not really unions of game de- for game developers. There's not really a sort of like worker rights in the traditional sense. You have stories like Activision. This happened, I don't know, a month ago where they laid off 800 people across the company, so Blizzard, Activision, like all their studios, even though. That same day, they announced that they turned their highest profit ever on record, and then like, thanks everyone, you're out. And it's like there's no like, there's no safety net, there's no accountability, there's no. The employees are just numbers, which is true in every business, but sometimes the employees can fight back because they're unionized or they have like better contracts or something, and it just sucks that the video game world in particular just kind of takes advantage of them. Yeah. And, we, and and because the video game world is so driven by the hype cycle and driven by, like, us talking about, well, how come Labo isn't in Yoshi and how come blah, blah, blah? Like, it's just sort of brushed aside because you could go to E3 and be like, oh, my God, this game looks so cool. And then they announce, hey, this game's a little delayed. And you're like, what the hell? Why are you doing that? This is awful. But it's like, no, there are, like, 1,500 people maybe making that game if it's a really big project. And they have... Needs and lives, and presumably that should be respected. But in most cases, Ubisoft or whoever—not to target Ubisoft, I actually another do work practices—but any of those companies are just like, well, we need to get we need to get this done. I mean,
1: Rockstar, oh, yeah, Rockstar.
0: Rockstar is probably the, the poster child of this. Like Red Dead, the stories that came out around Red Dead being finished up were like,
1: yeah, Rockstar. Had Same thing with or... um Sausage Party when that was getting when that was getting made. Oh, the movie.
0: Yeah. You mean when
1: the sausage was getting made? Oh, yeah. You know, huh. A lot of overtime. A lot of <laughs> yeah. new animators were pretty much. I don't want to use the word blackmailed, but it was essentially like, oh, if you don't get this done, we will. Yeah, you're not gonna, we're yeah. not going to give you recommendation for your next it was gig blackmail, and your, your career's yeah. over. Yeah, and it's insane.
0: They're working crazy hours and they're not seeing their families for months on end. And, you know, you notice this, like at the Game Awards or wherever, they'll get up on stage and just kind of joking and be like, you know, it was great. To, it, like, I'm so happy to finish the project. I could get to see my family again. And then it's like, ooh, that's actually not like. I mean, it, it, in the moment you're like, haha, but then you're kind of thinking about it. it's like that's actually really sad. Like yeah. they're making entertainment; they should be making th- they're making things that are fun. They should be able to enjoy their job and have and you a think, life.
1: Because like, I mean, they go into this industry thing and like, oh, it's gonna be cool. I get to do the thing that I love, and it should be fun, but it ends up being stressful.
0: Yeah. Do you have a, any concerns about like going into this world knowing that that sort? Of I guess not really knowing that that could come out of.
1: I guess. It? Th- I feel like I mean, I feel like going into it knowing that that's kind of a thing makes it makes easier it, to mitigate in your mitigated. Yeah, thing. because then it's like, all right, like it's going to be project by project basis unless I manage to get into like a big company. Like usually, Sony Santa Monica like doesn't do that. Yeah, there's a bunch that don't, but um, well, there's a bunch that do. Yeah, I thought Blizzard was safe, but apparently not. But yeah, yeah,
0: Blizzard. Wa- Dude, Blizzard was crazy because they were letting people go. that went been the company for like 15 years. Whoa, it was across the board.
1: That is crazy. Yeah, and you think. They wouldn't need to do that considering how well Overwatch did and Hearthstone. But they
0: had to trim the fat to keep the revenue coming. Because there's this stupid mentality. And I get it. Publicly traded companies have to go through this. Where the investors are always like, how are you going to turn a profit? How are you going to make more money? It's not just about making money. You can't just happily have a profit. It's like, how do you increase mm-hmm. it time after time that's why apple stock they're like we've done the best iphone sales in forever our services are up however many percent like we're about to launch a tv service in a couple of weeks da, 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 da. and then the investors will be like okay that tv service has potential those iphone sales being great meh we're gonna lower your stock off that it's like we're gonna lower then super good sales they've always people that might buy into the service yeah but they're like what's their next big thing we need a next big thing we need to know where they'll be in five years and i get it because that's how you get your return on investment but it's just like the more companies have to cater to that, the more stuff like Activision is going to happen. Yeah, because the more they're sort of stuck in that endless vicious cycle of they need to keep finding ways to make more money, and like, because there are all these articles about, like, oh, did Fortnite kill Activision? It's like, well, not really. It was just like they're trimming the fat where they can because Overwatch is doing huge numbers. Like, it's not like it's failing by any means. So, I don't know. I I think the the one advantage is. Um, NOA actually does a pretty decent job about this. Not Advantage, but one nice thing to know is NOA does a good job. So last year at E3, Waypoint, the Vice video game blog, went and asked a bunch of different companies what their practices are for crunch. And what was kind of interesting is Reggie was saying that um, what Nintendo of America does is...
1: No, you don't have crunch.
0: They, well, they say they don't have a development crunch, but it could be a bug check crunch. This is how it works. Or it's a crunch in preparing for an event, or a crunch in preparing a game to pass our lot check process. And their approach is they get contract employees. So they flex. I'm just going to keep reading it. We flex in a way we work with our agency partners. Our mentality is we're going to flex by adding headcount as appropriate to help us get over a crunch. That's the way we approach it. To which then follow up, they follow up saying, So you bring on more employees. And he's like, Yeah, we, that's what we do. So instead of just like, yeah, I mean, I get for like development, it's a little harder. So then you have to kind of look at, okay, well, what does NCL do? What, how's Nintendo tree employees over there? And that one's a little more mysterious, but I did see a stat this past week that Nintendo corporate in Japan, their average employee retention rate over there is 13 and a half years. So clearly they're not overworking people or firing people on a whim. They, they have people that are dedicated, they have people that are excited and, interested and that's how we get the products we get like you can see the input and output if you give the employees if you if the employees are comfortable excited about their job and getting a good work-life balance you get really great products if it's rushed you run a risk probably of stuff falling through cracks or not being as good i mean obviously some games buck that trend red dead had horrible crunch but had good like great reviews it's a great game but yeah, it's it's a weird it's a delicate balancing act and I'm curious to see how it goes in the industry. I think we're getting to the point where game developers are gonna try and unionize soon. The gaming media is already in the process of doing that now. Like the Kotaku people all union you are trying to unionize, the Verge staff is trying to unionize. Like it's it's gonna happen. It's just a matter of how's gaming get React. Yeah. So so time will tell. But I just thought that was kinda of interesting in light of sakurai literally just sticking a needle in his arm to keep making games and Nintendo's not forcing him to do this this is him but it kind of got me thinking like it, it's crazy that one person is doing it by choice it's more insane that so many people are being forced into doing it like you were saying almost by blackmail in some instances so time will tell what comes of it um in the meantime, I guess we could kind of talk about what we've been playing. There's not a ton of news. It's been a quiet couple of weeks. I think coming up, we got GDC and PAX East, and things are going to blow up. I mean, Google, by the time people are listening to this, Google, um, it might be out, Google's announcing a game device or streaming service or both, like an actual console, this coming week. That's going to be big news. Even if it's not Nintendo-related, it's going to affect Nintendo. Then you've got, like, all the indie stuff at GDC. you got a bunch of indie stuff coming at uh PAX East. There are rumors that borderlands 2 could be coming to switch which is pretty big so there's a lot that we're gonna talk about next episode and what's super cool is for the first time ever you and i will actually be at these conventions you're doing gdc i'm doing pax east so we're gonna have boots on the ground impressions of this stuff for you guys in our next episode but in the meantime we've been playing things specifically we've both been playing rico which is uh the inspiration for the whole theme of this episode and the co-op idea And, and to be honest I didn't really know much about Rico or really knew it existed before Thunderfall was kind enough to find us both with a pair of keys to try it out. Yeah, it kind of flew under the radar. Now, however, now that I've played it, I can confidently say I've never enjoyed kicking doors down so much. Like it is quite a fun little game, and uh, to set the scene here. I don't
1: think of it. I don't, can't think of too many games on top of my head where you kick doors. Where kicking doors is like the like, core like mechanic. A, yeah, the <laughs> like core mechanic. I mean, like you do that sometimes, in, I would imagine in some of the Call of Duties, but it's like it's not that, as yeah. crucial or as badass. And you like, literally as get this. enough slow mo in those games to clear the entire room. This yeah. one is like you better hurry up. It's just like a little. A Tiny assistance, it's not even the a... yeah, it's
0: just to kind of get you going, but but to set the scene here a bit so people know what actually is going on here. Uh, Rico is what happens if you take a top down procedurally generated action game, like say Mr. Shifty or uh, Hotline Miami, and then make it first per- into a first person shooter. So you go room from room, you go room to room, you clear the bad guys, you complete tasks of, like diffusing bobs and whatever until the level is clear. And then you go do it again and again. Like another way of looking at it is like take time crisis or virtual, virtual cop, but uh, you have freedom of movement, or like it even kind of actually looks like those games. If you think about it, like if you put those games to like a telltale filter, that's kind of the style they're going for, or maybe um, 11 or XIII. If you remember that cell shade Ubisoft game from the GameCube days, it kind of Rico kind of looks like that. But what, what stands out to me in a number of ways, and feel free to chime in, um, is beyond just being like a first person version. Of something we've kind of done before like be it time crisis or mr shifty or whatever um it, it actually does more beyond that like it's not just like oh yeah it's this but it's for a person to actually do some interesting stuff with it so there's the game setting and theme first of all which uh, the main inspiration is buddy cop films you immediately can pick up on that when the game starts because there's this pretty slick intro movie that feels like ripped straight out of a movie uh and then you and a real life friend online or off are charged with a set of tasks when you uh, enter a building or a rooftop or an office or whatever, wherever you go you gotta complete them without dying and then get back to the exit and they can be as simple as clearing a room of enemies, diffusing bombs scattered between multiple rooms for, or like collecting evidence, um, really all the tasks just amount to holding the B button when you get over the object uh, for a preset period of time and it varies but it, it's usually pretty brief but sometimes it's a little longer to the point that you need your friend to be providing cover as reinforcements come running in to try and kill you so there's that kind of like cooperation going on. Uh, sometimes it does require running around. Things like diffusing bombs. Once you diffuse one, there's a t- countdown. You have to go find the other one or two yeah, on the that's same definitely floor.
1: One of the few times where you would want to split
0: up, are like, go ahead, yeah. look for it, look for it. Yeah, yeah, and that, and that gets pretty intense because you actually need to constantly communicate about, okay, is it over here? I checked this room. This room's clear. And it, it really does feel like you're like buddy like The whole like clear, clear sort of stuff. Um, but yeah, what's satisfying about it is as you're going through this, the game just, to me it really does capture the action of a buddy cop movie or really just the action of a first person shooter without making you do much else like there's it's just it's just boom 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 you just go 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 that's, what, that's the other thing that stands out to, this game, uh, to me about this game and what really helps seal the deal what actually makes you feel really badass is that slow mo you were talking about because as you go room to room you're kicking down the door that obviously divides the room and when you kick it down it triggers a very brief bullet time style slow mo like you were describing and you can use it to try and take down as many baddies as you can without having, you know, them having much of a chance to get back at you. But it only lasts a few seconds. But in those few seconds, if you have a really cool gun, you can get some pretty cool-looking gunplay going on. You can have all sorts of color shooting, and if you manage to hit an exploding barrel in the back of the room or whatever, like more badassery. Like, it's cool. You feel cool doing it, or at least I did. And, and really, just the whole game revolves around that core mechanic. You're running, you're gunning, you're going room to room. Um what's nice is that even though the concept's super simple, the developers actually added a fair amount of different options on top of it. So obviously the side tasks like collecting evidence help a little. But what I found surprising was how many options there were like in terms of game modes and whatnot. like it it has a lot the um, the main mode is called the cases mode. And uh, it has you go through these progressively difficult missions to try and topple a whole crime syndicate. They say you're trying to topple it in a day, so you have 24 hours. But it's not a real 24 hours. I think the clock just moves every level you beat. Because remember we were playing, and I, oh yeah, yeah, I think that's all that is. But um, yeah, it's kind of the whole case is kind of laid out like that old uh, Street Pass questing game you could do. You know, like kind of the, the branching paths. Yeah. Um, and then each you know each path might have a different difficulty of of a, of. Uh, Level and uh, indicated by skulls, and you can choose an easier one or a boss one or what have you. Uh, but it's also kind of Star Foxy in that should you lose at any point of the map, you lose the entire case. It, the case is done; you you died. It's game over. So that requires you to go back to the first mission, which is always a training level with dummy targets, and you only have a pistol at that point. And I, I don't mind the fact that you restart with the most basic of guns. You can use points you earn as you complete missions and tasks to get new guns, and that lets, you know, that lets you try a whole bunch of different things each time, so that's fine. Plus, as you go through the game, you can unlock character traits that grant you better aiming precision and the like, and those do stay between cases and across modes. But I just got kind of tired of like, always needing to play that training level
1: yeah I could do that I'm getting really tiring really right fast. yeah because you cause cause you, didn't like play multiplayer with me. you didn't do any solo right but I was doing yeah solo. I did a yeah. little bit of solo oh you did uh, okay. well I mean and we also played that training level because we did uh, yeah but I played it like three times before I no yeah that's like, yeah. after the first time I was like alright cool I just want to get to the yeah like every other part of it yeah
0: yeah because it's like I get it I've made it past it before like stop making me do it there should be a skip button or something but um the nice thing is for anyone else who does feel the same way that picks up the game, there is a quick mode that just drops you right in. You're given various weapon configurations, a random set of objectives, uh, and you just get going. You don't have to worry about the training. You don't have to go through a whole case. It's just like a quick level or two. But what I think the mode I really like most, um, I think the mo- that mode is the daily challenge mode. This is cool to me. The mode presents five different challenges of ranging difficulty. Each comes to preset weapon loadout and room setup and you do the challenge and you then actually get ranked against everyone else who did it on that given day in an online leaderboard and when we played it uh, I found that it made for a surprisingly compelling experience because you're competing with actual people around the world you can see their completion times on the leaderboard it's fun to try and match them we actually went through and did one of them a couple times and ended up being number one in the world because it was a pre-release copy but still like we it motivated us to actually keep trying because we knew we could do better we started to learn the layout and that's different than the rest of the game where it's all procedurally generated it's also nice that the leaderboard includes um both co-op and solo play scores because fact of the matter is and you can take it from me the guy who at the top of the show said doesn't have a friends to play co-op with um you don't always have a buddy to buddy cop with so the entire game from daily challenges to cases it does work solo Um, It's immediately a very different experience. I mean, I don't know what your experience was with it solo, but for me it felt a lot slower paced and like handy mechanics that are part of the core game, like the map marking and uh, being able to press a button to tell your friend where you are at any time or count down the door kicks, like that was irrelevant. So it kind of took out some of the game in a way. Yeah,
1: my experience with single player was pretty minimal to comment on it. But after playing it multiplayer with you, it was fun enough that i'm like i kind of don't want to play single player like, Yeah. i kind of just want to keep it, it the it feels experience in it's,
0: it's it's just not it's an option if you want to take it but i yeah i would highly recommend doing co-op and preferably in a way where you can actually talk aloud to one another be it like local couch play or playing online with i guess a chat app cuz i don't think it has chat natively from what we could tell like we didn't find a chat right we we were just on the phone
1: yeah
0: but um yeah i would recommend if you could do co-op do co-op it's definitely the better experience but mm-hmm. Single player ain't so bad. Like, if you really want to go through it, you can. Um, But but speaking of things it doesn't support, because I mentioned it doesn't support voice chat, one that really surprised me is there's no HD rumble. Hmm. For a game where you're kicking down doors, which could be one type of rumble, and then you're shooting a whole bunch of different guns, which could be a whole different bunch of different rumbles, I'm kind of surprised it wasn't there. I'm hopeful they'll add it in future updates. Um, I also hope when they do that, they add some background music. Because except when you're in slow-mo, the game's pretty quiet like it's not a big deal when you're playing co-op because you're all actively talking to one another you're running around you can hear each other shooting in the distance but uh did you notice this in single player how dead silent the game is oh there's yeah. like no music it's just the bullets and like i said multiplayer is fine because it's like you know you have a symphony of gunfire but in single player it's it's very very quiet um i think my only other nitpick is probably the load times the game actually explains as you wait that it's because everything is rendering on the fly like levels are being built walls are getting put up doors are being closed for maximum kickage or whatever uh and it basically shows you why it's so slow so it's it's almost forgivable um but we'll we'll see if it gets more annoying as time goes on in terms of the the load times uh likewise i'm kind of curious just like what is the longevity of this game like what is the longevity of the gameplay cuz right now it's it's actually really fun i love it uh, especially the daily challenge thing like if you ask me at this moment, if you if I think it's worth the twenty dollar mission on the eShop to get Rico, I would say yes, for sure, you should get. But I could see it potentially getting repetitive in the long term. Like the fact that it's procedurally generated should help keep things interesting for longer. I just can't really tell how much longer longer is. Like what what I'm really hoping for is that the devs start running wild with the daily challenge. I think it'd be really cool if they introduce weird new locations or new maybe new side missions to do besides just getting people down, like something in addition to bombs and evidence collection. Time will tell if they will, but, like, right now, I'd say it's a super fun co-op experience that I think both of us recommend. I would. Yeah, I, ser- I certainly like it. But I-, I am curious, like, will the procedural generated stuff make this a worthwhile thing to still be playing in three months? Or, like, it- is that the answer to make yeah. longevity in a game? Like, I don't even know. But the funny
1: thing about, I guess, this kind of game in particular. It reminds me a lot of Binding of Isaac because that game is it's literally procedurally generated. Mm-hmm. But... I mean, that one I guess has so. I mean, it's not as it's not a full 3D game, so obviously it doesn't take as much time to make. Sure. But it just has so much content in it that you probably. I mean, I still haven't seen all of it, and Elvis hasn't seen all of it, and he has hundreds and hundreds of hours in it. Right. I mean, he's close to it, but he still hasn't, and it's still coming out with DLC. So they have been adding more and more to it. So just when you think you're about to finish seeing it, I mean, you still have more reason to play. That's what I'm hoping
0: Rico does. I could go for some Rico DLC. When on the
1: other, when on the other end of the spectrum, like something I just learned recently, that after reading Resident Evil twice, I keep coming back. Think like the new God of War. It really is, but but this time, <laughs> not even so much about like the fact that it's Resident Evil. It's just the fact that the because of the way the game is designed, it's literally just a giant escape room. Like the game. Resident Evil. Yeah, like if you take away the zombies, it's literally just an escape room. You find a wheel here i mean yeah you find a knob here Oh, where does the knob go it goes over there the knob leads me to this hand okay where does the hand go i think i saw a statue missing a hand mm-hmm. oh when you put the statue there it relieves the scepter now it's literally that and some of those examples that i use literally are in the game
0: and i if that's why the resident evil so a few years ago i did the resident evil escape room at IMA Pit here in la it was very cool like, very, very cool. but And it felt very authentic. And I wonder if that's because the game basically is Yeah, because
1: every single game is that. The only part that kind of distracts from that is the fact that you're shooting zombies and it's a scary environment. Wait, hold on.
0: Ready for a mind-blowing thought? Like, get those thinking emojis ready, everyone. You ready for this? You ready for this shower thought? I don't think Resident Evil is mimicking an escape room. I'd say escape rooms are analog video games. Think about it. Hear me out here. Okay, A lot of video games let you do something in real life Like race a car or play football Or be a buddy cop in Rico, what have you But there's no real life version Of the puzzling you're describing There's no real life version of like an adventure game Where you solve puzzles It's not like a typical day A certain person with a certain job Is like the doorbell fetcher who puts it back on the door Then (laughs) hands you the next puzzle piece Then you go put the hand on the skeleton That's not a thing So like escape rooms are actually giving you the real life version of video game puzzles. So it's not that Resident Evil is like an escape room. It's escape rooms are inspired by Resident Evil, right down to the one that was Resident Evil. I think that's
1: why it. Which feels might that have way. been inspired by the murder mystery trains, which I assume have been around for
0: yeah, a long time. But. Yeah. So yeah, maybe it, maybe it's a two way street. But I think escape rooms in their current form are actually analog video games. Yeah. And that's probably mm. why. Is everyone's thinking emoji still thinking? That's probably why um, the Zelda one felt so weird when Nintendo did Defenders of the Triforce with what was it? Yeah, because that game that wasn't, isn't an escape room. It game. wasn't. Well, it sort of. It isn't. It isn't. No, if no, 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 about, no, oh, no, yeah, no. Oh yeah, oh no, yeah. yeah no, I scrap mean, Zelda wasn't.
1: isn't. A, a,
0: an escape it's game. not exactly, but you could, you could turn a Zelda dungeon you into could. kind of an escape room. But what Scrap did is like we're gonna make it a tabletop game, and that's why. Oh. And that's why it was a little like off-putting for me because I was excited about how I learned what it was, and I kind of lost interest. But, like, if they did an actual escape room based around Zelda where you're, like, actually looking for... Even that's kind of hard because how do you, like, look for a chest? (laughs) Or, like, how do you, like, use the compass to see more floors on the map? It It doesn't quite It it, it really
1: fits it perfectly for Resident Evil Evil, because, I mean, you have, like, a lot of, like, oh, here's a padlock and I have to find the combination somewhere. And, like, literally in the game, like, they don't even tell you what. Like, you see a padlock, like, I don't know, at some point, like, early on. And Mm -hmm. then, like, maybe an hour later of normal gameplay... You find this poster for like a jazz band, and then you, you see three letters circled. They don't tell you why; they're just circled. Right. But if you remember the padlock, you're like, okay, it was a, it was an alphabetical padlock. Three letters circled, of course.
0: Condense that down to a twenty minute experience in a little weird room that's built in the back of a warehouse, and you got an escape room. There you go. Yeah, I'm telling you, escape rooms are analog video games.
1: What was my point? Oh, that's right. On the other end of the spectrum, so yeah, because these are essentially escape rooms. Once you see the answers. Like you would think, like it kind of takes away from the experience. Like, why would you do it again? You already know the answers. You already yeah. Yeah. On top of that, it's also a horror game. But once you've experienced it like two times, no horror to be had. Yeah. Like you kind of already know everything that's coming. You might get. You still might get started a few times. I mean, jump scares are jump scares. But, um. Yeah. Like you kind of you tend to do that. I mean, Mr. X, like the well, everyone calls him Mr. X, the tyrant that follows Every you Every
0: time I say X, Mr. X, I always think of Mr. F from Arrested Development. I don't know why. Sorry, um, I just had to interrupt to
1: say that. I forgot that reference even though i have seen that
0: even show. though i literally made that reference to you like a week ago but yeah and it's still yeah. in over my head yep that that's how that's how uh impactful that show was on your life specifically season three
1: but yeah like even him like he goes from being like this super scary like stalking monster to like to an obstacle right. but not like an annoying one like oh it's him again it's more like i mean it's still like tense but now it's like okay now i have to he's not scary anymore he's just like something you have to fi- he's just another thing you have to figure out just like mm-hmm. the puzzles mm-hmm. but instead of becoming like boring or just something like alright I beat it I'm done with it why do I have to play it for whatever reason this game becomes a lot more fun like, it just gets more Good. and more fun the more you play it interesting because you end up finding strategies I guess like you end up trying to like one up yourself and the game definitely encourages it because they have like I mean you get ranked it's like oh can you you beat the game in eight hours that's like the average play time for your first playthrough but to get an S plus rank the average S plus rank time is like two hours so you're literally just mm-hmm. running the whole time. Like at that point, like, you already know, like okay, I have to run between this zombie and this zombie to like not get eaten. I have to if I pre if I pre move these bookshelves that I wouldn't normally have to move until later in the game, to just move them now because I know I'm going to have to later. It'll make that part easier when I get back to that part. Or blah blah blah. Right. I don't know it. And then you get that very nice sense of satisfaction when you figure that out. It's almost like there are puzzles within the game that you solve to complete it, but then sections of the game because become puzzles in and of themselves to figure out the most way to optimize your time within them. And you get rewarded for it's doing al- that. I mean,
0: it's almost, you're you're just describing on a much, much deeper scale what and, we did in Rico where we did yeah, uh, but, but, co-op.
1: But the thing about like, but nothing is randomly generated, like everything stays consistent. No, no yeah, like the
0: daily challenges, I mean. Oh, um, yeah. Because yeah. the daily challenges, I don't think we randomly generated those. And those, like we went back and we did it until we got it, oh yeah, and so we they're... got faster at it, we got better. So you're like that—that that contribution. Oh, yeah, right. so we they're... did. We did the shallow version. You're like in the deep end with Resident Evil. Yeah, but... and
1: then I is that when you complete every one of those, and you get a higher rank. You get the infinity weapons. So you get like uh, the rocket launcher with infinite ammo. You get the mm-hmm. gun with infinite ammo. Like, right, know, it, right. Yeah, and obviously, like, I want to replay the games with Claire and Leon's PS1 skins because you could play as them with literal polygonal. Oh yeah, yeah. It just looks hilarious in cutscenes because their faces don't animate. Right. So where there like should the be LP emotion. So obviously you have to play the game with with the new one so you could see yeah. the acting, but then, you know, turn it goofy.
0: It, it's interesting how like longevity in games can vary so much in the sense of like
1: Yeah, because it's the same you're having the same experience. Like the concern I had with I guess the experience is technically a little different because the first time I played it, I literally scoured every single inch of the police station slash museum. Like mm-hmm. I, I like I got the achievement for like you opened every item. Oh, so it like, I guess you're speed running it. Now, but then the so second I- option is like now, like okay, do I need that weapon? Do I need this? What can I drop that? Blah blah blah. Right. blah. I guess it is like speed running, but I guess or that, streamlining, if you will. I guess streamlining because I feel like if I was speed running it, I'd be trying to go for the fastest time. Right here, I'm just right. trying to get to the rank. You know what's funny about that?
0: You're playing it the opposite of the way you play Breath of the Wild. Because Breath of the Wild, you wanted to get right through it as quick as possible. And only then did you circle back and start doing Yeah, stuff.
1: well, the thing about this game is that because it's a survival horror game, it's like one wrong move. Like, you want to be as prepared as possible because anything could, like, kill you, like, really right. quickly. So I was like, okay, I want to get as much ammo so I need to get every single weapon I could find or every single item. Yeah. But in Breath of the Wild, I don't know. Or I guess, like, those kind of games, I feel like most of that other stuff is, like, side quest fluff which, I Pretty mean, it, it, I guess it isn't. But it, it, it is fluff, fluff It is but, fluff
0: in the sense that it doesn't affect your core game in the way that what you're describing for survival horror games. Yeah,
1: because, I mean, for Zelda, like, I wanted it to be... I don't know, it's weird. Like, for that kind of game, I wanted it to be as hard as possible because I guess typically those kind of games don't give me that kind of, like, nail-biting difficulty. So right. I had to create it myself, which it finally let me. Right. But in Resident Evil, like, it's already hard as it is. And when you play it on those hard difficulties, like, you... I mean ammo is scarce as it is anyway mm-hmm. like when you find ammo it's like oh you get five bullets oh my god that's a lot of bullets oh. <laughs> yeah oh thank god where it takes like 12 bullets to kill a zombie and even right. then in this game they made the zombies like there's a chance you might not even kill them like you could empty 20 bullets into one and it still might be alive later
0: you know what's funny is um, you describing Zelda versus Resident Evil made me suddenly appreciate remember a few episodes ago you had this crazy idea of like what if you were being followed everywhere in a Breath of the Wild style game? And I was like, what? I don't care. Why would that be scary? If they did the limited resources and all the side quests actually mattered, so if they basically survival hordes, oh, yeah. I get it now. I get it now. Yeah, because... I see the appeal. I see why it could be scary. I don't remember what episode we talked about, this. There was a few ago. Especially, like, when, what you play...
1: about. Especially when you play in hardcore mode versus standard, which is what I did the first two playthroughs on. But now I'm going to go to hardcore mode because mm-hmm. and this like i don't know it's just an amazing mechanic which was default in the original which is funny that it's not default now because you know times change people won't stand for that accessibility but exen- yeah or, exactly yeah, but yeah. essentially you have these typewriters and normally in standard you could just go up to them and save whenever you want so obviously anytime i did anything i would save right away right but in hardcore mode you have to find these items called ink ribbons because so you know it's a typewriter. The typewriter You have to put in the typewriter. so those are also a uh, like a scarcity like mm, they're a limited resource mm-hmm, mm-hmm. so it's like oh man do i save now and waste the ink ribbon or do i potentially try to make more progress but if i die i'm gonna lose all that progress so it makes that stalker monster even more stressful because maybe you do a ton of progress and you're like all right cool now you need gonna go to a save room and suddenly he's blocking your path and now you're like oh like i'm gonna lose like two hours of playtime right which makes it which heightens it i mean it's, yeah, it's even better. yeah that
0: really would yeah yeah, Zelda needs to try something. Or Nintendo should try something like this. Maybe not Zelda, Well,
1: I mean, but... they have... Or just like... Frame. frame. I mean, that's like yeah, frame. Yeah,
0: but a little different. I never
1: played... I mean, the core mechanic is like, you know, to take pictures, but... I don't know how the game really works outside of that. Like, is it kind of like Resident Evil? I mean, I don't know. I don't know if it's like a collect a mystery room.
0: I'm kind of surprised we haven't heard anything about fail Frame for Switch yet. Yeah. Like, Nintendo's going hard on the mature I mean, games I never even year. played
1: the 3DS one just because that one felt like it was... Yeah. like an AR thing yeah but. it was
0: it was Um, but no cause like at PAX in a couple weeks they're gonna have a, they have two booths Nintendo they have like the family friendly booth with like Yoshi and indie game stuff but then they have the mature game booth with like Moral Combat on Switch playable for the first time and Hellblade and like other stuff and like I feel like if they're able to split like that this would be a good time to put out Fatal Frame on Switch yeah. And they have the audience. Like, they kept doing it on systems where no one was. Like, they did on Wii U, and no one's there playing it on Wii U. They did it on 3DS, but it's AR, so no one's playing it on 3DS. But they could have done it. They could do it now and probably find success. Yeah. 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 That's a weird note to end on, but I don't have any other thoughts, unless you have any other thoughts. Um, it's a weird episode in that, like, there was not a ton going on in the Nintendo world. There's there's little things. Turok is on Switch. That's cool. Friday the 13th, the game, which you like on PS4, coming to Switch. That's cool. Oh yeah, that is pretty cool. But it's just like. There wasn't like. It was like a lull, kind of, Something outside of Labo.
1: I did. Just uh, last thing to mention. I don't know if I really yeah. have any major thoughts on it because I don't really play Fortnite, but I thought it was interesting to note that I guess they, they released a patch recently or an update where. Season 8? Where apparently before people on. Actually, I wonder if this. It might. Um, before people on the Switch would pair would, oh, would play would, would play with anybody yeah but now when you're playing online you're only pairing up with yes. people on mobile which it feels like that gives a huge advantage to switch players yes because now the majority are going to be mobile people yeah which is great but so you know why More that's, people you now happy, the backstory more, of why more, more people that. seem happy overall which I mean I'm not going to complain but I also have I mean I I mainly just play with my cousin, so I'll probably play it on my PS4. Because do you know? Not do. do you know why
0: they're doing that? The full backstory.
1: Um, no, why?
0: So, from my understanding, the PS4 and Xbox versions run at 60 frames per second. The Switch version runs at 30 frames per second. Those frame differences were actually affecting the gameplay. The mobile ones run at 30, so they're pairing it with the same frame rates to ensure that they have the same gameplay experience. Makes sense. In a nutshell, is what's happening. I I like the idea, but it is weird how much Switch is getting an advantage from it. And I think it's, a it's huge weird, advantage, huge advantage. Unless people use Bluetooth controllers, but come on, who does that? Yeah, even. Though, but I think I think what's weird still is, cause you're
1: still getting a bigger screen, no matter. Yeah, what
0: Yeah, I think what's weird, unless you're playing on a tablet with a Bluetooth controller and some weird Jerry Rig with Wannabe Switch. Yeah, but uh, I think what's weird about it is like. I don't want to say it makes Switch a second-class citizen.
1: It kind of does, but
0: it kind of does. Like, I like. I'm sure Nintendo was not thrilled to find out. Oh, Fortnite is no longer like the Fortnite of the other systems. It's like the lesser Fortnite. It's like Fortnite Junior. Yeah, or, so like, Fortnite
1: Beta versus Fortnite Alpha. Yeah, so that's like, kind of why I want to bring it up because, like, on one hand, why did a lot of people are happy about that on the Switch at least? Yeah. Yeah, it does kind of put like, oh, so it's not really seen as like a big con, like a real console? Which
0: which it never really is if you think about it because the whole point of the Switch, like the yeah. entire message of it is the stuff you do on console you can do on the go now. And I think most people understand that trade off, but it does seem like Nintendo is making strides to be like one of the big dogs, so to speak. You know, getting stuff like Hellblade is it – it's called Hellblade, right? Yeah. It's um crazy if you think about it. That was a game – that's that was all like a Microsoft. System. I guess I shouldn't be so the Dragon's Frank- Dogma is a big deal, kind of, but then like at the same time, like, but your your Fortnite is the like smartphone. Oh yeah, me.
1: and as we it's brought up weird. another other that there were we were getting a lot of ports of mobile games that are just getting like upscaled. to. Yeah, the Power, game, the Power Rangers game.
0: The Power Rangers game is coming to Switch. I've got Balfour Grid or whatever it's called. That sounds like Tron is probably not called that. Uh, is, called that. Is they're tronning that Power Rangers. Okay, anyway, it's a
1: multi everything. You pretty much play as any Power Rangers from any generation. Okay, that's kind of cool. But
0: anyway, that started as a mobile game, but it's now being upgraded with new features. But here's the thing: it's also kind of PS4 and I think Xbox. So it's getting really upgraded.
1: Oh well, yeah, the game. But yeah, there's a I, lot I've of seen mobile gameplay from it. It looks pretty.
0: cool. Actually, looks all right. Yeah.
1: Yeah, it keeps getting. It keeps also looking better and better. Like the first trailer, like I mean, you look at it, you're like, oh, this is a mobile game. But like, oh, it's for console. Oh okay yeah and then the next trailer comes out like oh okay this looks significantly better yeah yeah but
0: yeah so it so switch is like that weird middle ground because as as you point out ports coming from mobile but also like downgrade from consoles and then you the weird one is fortnite because it was kind of like the defining like it is still a console you guys and yeah. that's like well hmm a little less so now <laughs> so i don't know oh yeah, you play fortnite oh you played on switch okay oh you oh you played the 30 frame fortnite but i mean that was the problem before you still were playing yeah. the 30 frame fortnite and it was detrimental to your performance so the that mean experience. that
1: no matter what hmm. you do, the Switch can't play with the Sony people anymore. PC, Correct. PC people
0: Even though now Sony's finally opening up, opening up now, Nintendo got shifted away. Not so Nintendo's in their, fault. So but. I guess
1: that's not an issue for Rocket League then, right? Rocket
0: League now does support across all of them.
1: No, I mean I know it does, but I mean, I'm guessing frame rate. I guess was never an issue. No, no, I, I guess no. It just no the the frame
0: thing. rate thing was specifically a Fortnite thing. It's how the game was made. Oh, basically. All right. Well, um, but yeah, I don't think Rocket League has that problem. But that's a good question. I, or what? Well, you thinking you're gonna play Rocket League on PS4 against our friend who has a Switch? No, 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 of one no. I no, would just play on Switch because doesn't reach
1: Well, I mean, yeah. I managed to squeeze another three minutes. So
0: well, we we weren't like looking for a set time, but okay. That yeah. Fortnite thing I actually did want to bring up. I completely forgot to put it on the outline. So that was that was good because that's interesting. It's weird. Yeah,
1: it's like because I mean, where else yeah. are we gonna talk about this except anywhere else outside of the podcast?
0: Very true. And more a point, there's not even a way to work it to the podcast in me. Like, it was definitely like you-have-to-throw-it-in-at-the-end thing because there's no rhyme or reason for it anywhere else. Yeah. Sakurai t- does an IV drip, but did you hear about Fortnite 30 <laughs> frames? Let me tell you about that. <laughs> but anyway, so yeah, I guess that does it for this episode of the Random Town podcast. Um, it was a little lighter. it's a little more loose. Actually, I actually had fun with this one. It was a little more chatty. Like, we're always talking, obviously, but it felt more like gosh Oh,
1: I guess when we are on um, random chain of thoughts. Sure. Um, Why not? Nintendo randomly... Like I guess they started promoting their Joker trailer a lot lately, but when it first popped up on YouTube, it said like "introduce like inter- Joker introduction trailer. Yeah. But it did but it wasn't like the
0: It was the one from Game Awards.
1: No, it was like it was just a a season pass trailer, basically. That oh, had, the one they're the they're one like, from
0: um uh the direct, the twenty second, like here he is and we'll learn. It more was later. like a
1: forty it was like a forty second one. They pretty much oh. like went into detail exactly how the battle pass work and then they're like, Joker's here, and then it's just like a yeah, that's from Joker. the director. That's from the director. And yeah, I just thought it was kind of like, oh, yeah, they're so prepping not, for April. It's like, oh, so, April. so it's not an introduction trailer.
0: So. No, it, it is literally an introduction. Yeah. They're like, hi, meet Joker, and yeah. they're like, hi, Joker, and he's like, hey, and that's it. Yeah. that's that's as far as the introduction goes.
1: April's gonna be an interesting month.
0: April's gonna be a big month because we have, I mean. There's Labo, there's all those games There's Smash 3.0, there's Mortal Kombat There's a ton in April But next episode, which is actually probably in April um, That's going to be a doozy too Because as I was saying earlier in the show This is the first time it's ever on March 29. Well, no, it's not because I'm going to be at Pat's Oh, you're feast. right, it's actually going to be nope. oh, on the Nope, first. It's, nope it's not what? It's probably going to be the first or second Because I need to fly home first in order to then record it
1: Oh, never mind then. So it's definitely going to be on the first, second, or third. then. Yes, correct. Yeah. Um, Realistically, second, or third.
0: But basically, you guys should tune in because it's going to be a good one because he's going to GDC for the first time in Random town history. I'm going to PAX East for the first time in Random town history. And together... Yep, I'm going to GDC for Random Nintendo. I didn't say for. I said in the first time in history of... Random Nintendo? Yes. Um but yeah so you we've never covered either of those we've never been to either of those so we're gonna basically swap notes and see what the two conventions are like so and tell you guys all about it so the that MP episode swap note. huh no, you said yeah RIP piece. swap note Nikki's always in our hearts
1: um, I mean she's still around with she's Bob still around
0: though. but like she's also in my heart can I not have her in my heart can I not love Nikki are you saying I can't have love for Nikki your little Nikki well, she's not my Nikki she's Nintendo's Nikki well, why like, should I, I cheat on Nintendo her. with oh oh yeah I see what you're doing Anyway, well, you didn't, but. I now do. Yeah. Point is, um, so that episode's coming a little later because we're going to have impressions from, of games we play, we're going to have news, we're going to talk probably about the Google console, what it means for Nintendo, and all sorts of other stuff. It's but most it's likely... It, it's being announced on the 19th. We oh, sort of touched on this before. I think
1: I saw controller, a picture yeah, controller. Yeah, it looks like...
0: Uh, someone had a great tweet where like... You know all this tweets like, I programmed AI after it watched a thousand hours of blah, blah, blah to write its own episodes. I was like, I programmed AI after it saw a thousand different controllers to make a controller (laughs) because it's really a mishmash. But uh, yeah, we're going to be talking about all that.
1: See what happened to the Ouya or whatever it was called?
0: Yeah, seriously, right? Well, this
1: one's all streaming. That's what's interesting. Interesting. Supposedly.
0: Anyway, we'll talk about it a lot more on April, sometime between April 1st and 3rd to make sure you don't miss it because I don't even know when it's happening. It depends on when we get back and everything. Um, It might never even come. It might, for all you know... Uh I'll be on a Boeing seven thirty seven Max Eight and the plane just go boo and that'll be the end of it and there'll be no more pockets. Oh, that's more of it. I just now, mean, like, actually,
1: this, this might just be the last episode.
0: Also, I should further clarify those planes are all grounded. I will not die on those, but I could die at the hands of any Bostonian driver. Oh, Who i knows hear about that. But yeah, so point is sometime between April first and third <laughs> we're gonna be having this episode to make sure you don't miss it. Follow us on Ram, uh, on Twitter at Ran subscribe to us on uh Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, TuneIn, you name it. We're also on YouTube. Our channel is com. And yeah, that's about, that just about does it. Oh, if you want to know about our Man, going... What
1: is this? One of those movies that has like three fake endings? It does have
0: three fake endings. We're at like seven, by the way. <laughs> and I think we're going to do an after-credit scene. So like wait for the music to fade out. And if the MP3 is still going, that means we're still talking. <laughs> but no, it, um, the other thing i going to say is if we're at G C and if we're at PAX East, if you want dispatches from the show floors, if we choose to do that, I don't know if we're doing that. But you can follow him at Twitter on Twitter at Wero, w e i r o underscore O for GDC stuff. You can follow me at JSR7 for PAX East and Boston stuff. And of course, whatever we have to say any other time of the year. Um, And now I'm really ready to say that's it. So I will give you, Angel, the final word. That's it. Those are two words, just for the record.